All right, guys, what's happening? Back again, Off Track Experience podcast. Now, this one was um, this one was actually one I've been wanting to do for a while, but it's kind of funny how it came about because when I started this podcast, everyone that I was having on was just people I kind of, I guess, looked up to in a way or want to learn something from. And it kind of struck me all of a sudden that <laughs> I should probably talk to the person that's probably taught me the most about myself. So yeah, I sat down with dad. We ended up having a two two and a half hour conversation, which was pretty cool. We got a bit off track. <laughs> it's pretty funny, it's off track experience. We definitely got off track a lot of the time, but yeah, it was pretty cool. We we talk into uh, we we go in depth in some of um some of the small small things that have happened in his life that actually looking back now made massive changes. So and especially looked at things that looked at negatives at the start and then have obviously turned out in positives but we also yeah we just have a laugh we have a laugh it's quite it's quite cool it was funny after i um after i recorded it i just came back uh, and got the footage off the camera and i was just watching it back and i was just thinking that if I didn't put this out anywhere, if this didn't go out to the world, if this was just my thing to have, that's cool. Like there's not very often that you sit down with a parent, a friend, a loved one and just have a conversation that you record and you can just have that. And it's crazy to think like we have probably have so many old family photos and stuff and you'll see a little glimpse of a photo and you'll be like taken back to that point in time and how good that will feel. But I've literally got two hours of just sitting down, <laughs> having a chat at in this point in my life where I'm quite, I'm very happy and content. And I think he is as well. So it's just a cool thing to just to save that moment in time and then be able to kind of, I guess, broadcast that <laughs> to everyone else that wants to listen to it. So I think it was quite a cool thing to do. <laughs> we definitely got off topic a bit, but same time it's pretty much what we'd kind of normally talk about we go in depth in a few things maybe we wouldn't have before but i was pretty happy i did it and i hope you guys can all get something out of it before we get into it as always thank the sponsors bluegrass helmets keeping it running shingle back off road making the best bike racks in the business crush for always just being absolute legends and 74 works for, for doing all your coding stuff yeah enjoy the podcast guys because definitely enjoyed sitting down and doing it and i'd like to do i guess even more fa- like maybe not i don't know about family members but it's just cool to do people that you've learned a lot from or you want to learn something from that's kind of the whole reason i started this podcast was just to actually just grow my own knowledge in a field that i didn't know much about and just talk to people that are doing something that i want to do and then trying to learn from that and then if i can share that with everyone else and they can get something out of it then everyone kind of wins so I keep trying to do that. Enjoy, guys. Podcast world. You can hear your own voice if you're talking to it real close. Okay, I can do yeah. that. It's like, it's like flying a helicopter. Yeah, exactly the same. All right, Dad. How are we? How are we doing? I'm, I'm, bit, I'm good. You're a bit nervous? Yeah, I'm a little bit. Why is that? Haven't been interviewed in a long time. I haven't sat down in front of a microphone for years. It's pretty funny, though, when you put people into a different setting like this it's funny how much they 
Yeah, they change. You're just sitting and you're looking at cameras and microphones. And I think the camera thing freaks people out. I mm. think when I've sat in here and don't have cameras, but also I like to push it on Instagram and try. And, I'm trying to make it more professional, but I'm trying to do it in a way that I don't make people feel uncomfortable. So bit I think a bit hard to do, I guess. Yeah, I think I'm just gonna have hidden cameras everywhere through the <laughs> through, the, through the house. <laughs> it was funny when we uh, when we I moved in that house in um, Mount Beauty, the tenant that um. Because it was a his mother was in the house, yeah, and she was just like I think she was over a hundred, so they were quite worried about her slipping and falling. So they put a heap of um, cameras through the house, so if she did fall, they could see. Yeah, and it was just funny how he's like that. He's telling us about all this stuff, and then and then he's just like looks at him like we took all the cameras out, <laughs> and oh, it was just kind of funny. We kind of like probably oh, some of the weird shit we were doing. It would have been funny if we didn't take the cameras out and they actually were watching what we were getting up to. <laughs> Oh, mm. Like one of the nights we had a um, we had an oat ceremony where we just we we had because we got in really into oat milk and then yep. we were talking about if you triple distilled oats so if you put oats in oat milk and then blended them and then put them in more oats so we were triple distilled oats right but yeah we thought if they that we had a bit of a ceremony to bless the oats <laughs> before we distilled them and we were just thinking if anyone was watching this oh that'd be quite concerned. Uh. Um, anyway, we'll give, I want to talk about a bit of a backstory because for anyone, you just, my dad, but for anyone else listening, you've got quite a, I guess, and even stuff I want to find out about, because I guess you started off being a bit, because people always ask me, they're like, what does your dad do? And I, I think I'd have this long winded answer of, oh, he did this and he did that and he was an inventor and all this stuff. And now I've kind of just come to the simple term. He does what he wants. <laughs> And I think, yep. and I think that's probably the best way to kind of put it. But obviously, there's been a lot along the way to make. He does what he wants happen. <laughs> doesn't it? Doesn't just happen. But it, it's been a, it's been probably a bit of a, a, a tale to get there. But I'm thinking back to probably what was the because you've always kind of been in. I guess you've got brought up in a way with Par, and he was always an inventor, and he's always building bits and pieces and changing them. Yeah, mm. he's it's probably even you know, really really good as an ideas man. No question about that at all. Like some of the things that he made work, pretty pretty impressive. And even yeah, you know, the grabbers just look at it and for something that's got no hydraulics or anything on what it can do. Is, you know. So go. So that was probably one of the first thing where I guess I saw the whole invent, inventing side of the Lucas family kind of come up. So this was like a, a rock grabber and I guess stump grabber, anything kind of thing. It went on the back of a tractor. Didn't I guess explain what it actually was and what it did? Well. It actually it went back a step. It was Warren and I had been working as boilermakers, and when we when we had the recession back in the day, and our, our company that we worked for went bankrupt, um, we started cutting firewood. And the, what the grabber was about is Warren actually built a um, a hoist to go on the back of the tractor to make a tandem trailer tip. Yeah, and Dad's comment was he made something to get the wood out. How about we make something to get it in? And he built it as a just a jib that went on the back of the tractor to hold the log over the trailer, and then you just come in with a chainsaw and cut it straight. Cut it straight the, onto the yeah. Yeah, and it, it it actually it was even better than what you'd think because the chainsaw we were cutting up in the air and the the, the chains were getting three times the life out of them. What because you weren't hitting dirt or anything like that? Yeah, <laughs> you'd pick it up too, and you'd, a lot of the bark and stuff if it was dry would just fall off. So it was just bare wood with no spiders, mud crap in it you know not mm. and not down on the ground and it was probably easy half the time probably 40 percent of the time to get a load in the trailer you could really do it quick mm. when you did that did that kind of give you the 
okay, we're doing things at work now. Is that was that kind of the the uh, spark that happened? Because I know you were making go karts, and you've always been like you've kind of always had that thing that you've always been building stuff or inventing things. Well, I wasn't actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, when that went on, I was contract rigging. I'd, I'd sort of gone out um, working for other steel companies because that my trade was boiler maker rigger, and I hated being in a in a workshop, you know, yeah. just welding all the time. So I'd go out and do the erection stuff, and I, so I was. Um, crane chaser, scaffolder, do it, getting out and about and, and travelling because that's... What you like doing. I like travelling. Because you built most of the stuff up <laughs> Falls Creek as well, didn't you? Oh, like a fair bit of it. You did a lot uh, of work. Early days, yeah. I did a um, lot of the bits and pieces up there. The, the first, uh, they had big generators um, before they had the electricity up there. Uh, Astrolodge, all the handrail and everything, Astro did that. Um, did a lot... Actually, did a lot of time on Hotham and even up at Threadbow. There's a, a big, um, what is it, Alberg up on Hotham's probably the biggest lodge. I don't know, there's, I don't know, there'd be many bigger than it now. We did that back in the mid 80s. Did you do much skiing or anything when you're up there during then? It was more in summer, wouldn't it? Um, I, I'd skied a bit before I'd left school. I'd sort of gone with the school camps, did cross country skiing, and done a bit of skiing. And I, I went up afterwards and a little bit of dumb luck. Like back in the day, it was about $110, $20 to do a day skiing. Mm. Hire your skis, you know, lift past and all the rest of it. And this is when I started as an apprentice. I was making about 150 a week. So I got up there to do my day skiing and they had the, um, oh, it was like the junior Olympic team or something and they were cutting into the line and I'm standing there. Well, these guys have done three runs and I'm standing in the line. Yes, this is before the quad chair and everything. In fact, I actually built the um, that Cloud Nine yeah, building. The, yeah, that was part of. It was a two stage thing. It was back in the eighties as well. But it was before that, and there was just lines for days. And I just went. I'm standing here with cold feet. You got better spend, stuff to do. Spending a week's wages, and it's just not adding up. Mm. And you know, and they it got it got a lot better later on. But um, I, life got in the road. I, I, I haven't been on on. I just yeah, I just find it funny that we've both spent a lot of our lives at ski resorts <laughs> and we haven't actually skied. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I used to love working up there because you'd be up in summer and you'd have these fourteen hours of daylight, top temperature of twenty twenty five degrees, which as a boiler maker is great because everybody else is down in the workshop in forty degrees, sweating and mm. dying, and it just just worked out well. Yeah, I'd go up there and I, I could put in an eighty hour week and make some serious money mm. and not have to, to sweat as hard. You know, you did good scenery and a lot of it was, you know, just putting buildings together and, and putting handrail in. And What do you think made you, because obviously some people just are quite content with just being in the workshop doing the 40-degree thing. Did you just, was there something that kind of sparked you to kind of go out and you did just I, what you enjoyed? I guess growing up on a farm as well would have opened you up a bit to that. Probably a bit, but I, look, I couldn't have done it. I, I got stuck in the workshop for about, three or four weeks and God, I was ready to cut me wrists. I hated it. I, I just, I've never been any good at repetitive. I'd, I'd just be go, I'd just go stir crazy. I'd, I'd want to be doing something different. It doesn't really matter what it is. You know, people have said to me, like I'm a helicopter pilot, they go, why don't you do it for a living? And I went, you get sick of it. Twelfth time flying around the 12 apostles in a helicopter. And that would, to me, it'd be worse than digging. A, I'd rather get to the next day and dig a ditch. I, I truly would. You yeah, know? repetition, uh, it can kill it. Yeah, <clears throat> hate it. I hate it. It's not. Um, and look, some of the things that it's I, quite it's quite sad <laughs> as well when it kills something that is quite 
that you enjoy. You yeah. enjoy. Yeah. I felt that with writing a lot where I'm you've <laughs> you've got to do it over and over again. People look at it and, and even, you know, later on when I was doing the sawmills and you'd go and do field days, well it gets that way that every motel room starts to look the same. You know, every airport looks the same. It, it does become and it's it's the in between things that I guess were so good because you go and do the and then I'd make sure that I had a few days to go and have a look around and, and, and make Enjoy it. it yeah. yeah. You, I, I think um, I actually saw a, like a, an interview with, uh, was actually a, was in New Zealand and uh, what's his name? Hadley, the bowler. I'm not sure who that is, but yeah. He's, he's, he, he's back in the day. He was, he was he's probably New Zealand's best cricketer. He was an all rounder, but he was, he, he took, might have been like a hundred wickets, but he, he was, you know, he was probably not quite the, same level as Dennis Lee, but he could bat fairly well. But, yeah, he said, and, and it's something that I took with me, how you talk about an ace that you can keep. Well, what he said was that um, you think my job is the best-looking one in the world. You know, the crowd's going nuts. He said, my job's the most repetitive. He, he talked about how many hundreds of thousands of balls he'd bowled into the nets to mm. get that hundred wickets, he said, "I've successful a hundred times." He said, "I'm doing something that's as boring as hell," mm. and ninety nine out of a hundred times, it's it's unsuccessful. <laughs> well, I was I always tell people it's like those one percenters you've got to find, and people don't understand what goes behind a second faster down a hill or like a or a millisecond. It's it's ridiculous, and it's like the the people don't understand the workload that you need to actually put into something to improve. By nothing. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Thing. when you're trying to find hundreds of... Uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. And it's just like that's getting smaller. And I always tell people, like, okay, I want to go imagine, just say one or two seconds quicker. That might be like how many Ks on a road bike is that? How many hours in a gym is that? How many more downhill runs is that? How much stretching is that? How much food is that? Like it's, it, it's a massive equation when you actually break it kind of down. But obviously, you just go through the process and it kind of, you know what you need to do to make it happen. But it is, it is repetitive to a sense. It, it is, and I, I think, or that I don't think I know, that's something that you're a lot better at. When I've been in a sport and I've I've done a lot of different things and I get to where I'm competent at it, like 97% of the way there, and, and I know to get 90% of the way there or 97% of the way, that's only 20% of the work. Mm. 80% in that last, 80% of the grind is in that last 3% to get to the mm. point where you are. And... It's kind of funny. I, 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 I'm, I'm more physically fit now than what I was back in the day, and I kind of looked at it when I was playing footy and things like that. That oh, yeah, you know, these people that have to train all the time—that's they're not they're no good at it. You know, mm. and it was, yeah, everyone thinks that they're just they're special. They're that's they can do it, but I can't do it. When and I, I probably had a little bit of that disease. I, I think the reality is I, I would have been okay at a few things, but I, and could have been a lot better than I was, but probably not stand out. You know, I, I don't mm. think there was any sport I was good enough at that I could have been world class at it. You know, the, mm. But I could have been better than I was, and I, and I wish that I'd had the the mindset to train. Like I, I you know, spend a lot of time on a rowing machine and looking after me diet more than what I was when I was eighteen or nineteen. You know. Drank beer, ate pies, did whatever I sort of felt like. And, Stayed fit, yeah. And I did, and yeah, you, you can be pretty fit at that age, but I could have been a lot better. I really mm. could have. But I think that comes down to, I think you told me this, I can't remember exactly the words you said, but 
Think of something about it. it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter all this shit. As long as you want it and how bad you want it, that's the thing you'll get. Yeah. And that's the thing back then you obviously didn't want to be an athlete or you didn't want to be that fit. But because re- that's people don't like you, you don't you do get what you want, and to a certain extent, people just don't want things as much as they kind of make out like they want them. Oh, look, I, I wanted, I, I wanted to fly, um, and I, I I missed out on English by. Yeah, let's go into that a bit more because you yeah. you after we're going to jump around a lot. I can, I already know <laughs> it's a bit disjointed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like trying to like where can we go with bits and pieces, but. Um, because I wanted to get, I wanted to get to the flying thing because that was kind of, I guess you were obviously inventor and you did all the traveling with work and stuff, and then the air force came into play. Where you wanted to, you wanted to fly. Did you? It was more or less you just wanted to fly. You didn't really care so much about actually joining the air force. That was sort of what I saw as being the best vehicle to get to to fly. And 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 one of the questions that I was asked that they um on the exam and it it brought it home to me with a crunch. It went, you know. You, Basically, you've been instructed to bomb a village. Are you going to do it? And it's like tick the box or walk out the door right now. Yeah, it's pretty much a and you know you know the answer they want to see mm. or what they're what you know they know the yes answer or the right answer to them. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to say no, I'm not going to do that. They see you later. Don't need you. Did that kind of hit home for the fact maybe you don't want to be doing this? And what's the what's the patch? What's the trade off of being able to fly? I, 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 I kind of sold me soul and and went well, you know, I'd I'd um I talked to a guy years later, Jimmy Marshall, that actually bombed Dresden and you know lots of cities, and I guess he probably knows that he he killed women and children. Now they'd be in his head. Mm. And he kind of said, you know, they started it, we finished it. I think the world's kind of moved on from that. But, mm. you know, like, I was sitting in that exam, like, nearly 40 years ago. And I, I don't know that I'd have ticked yes now. I'm, I'm glad it, in some ways that it didn't. But, look, I probably never would have been in a position, you know, maybe I'd have ended up over Iraq, I don't know. But um, I'm glad I've never had to make the... Make the call to do it, yeah. Because, you, yeah, you don't... <laughs> that's the thing, you get an order... That's pretty much going to say you're going to listen. You're going to you're going to say yes when we say do something, and to what extent does that go? Like you say, how you get to what point where you go? What am I? What am I doing? Mm. Yeah, that'd be anyway. That that door never opens because that you missed out on it by one one mark in English, wasn't it? Yeah, I got direct entry and passed all the um, math science stuff, and all you needed was a fifty percent of pass in English, mm. and. I, I don't know whether it's the only time it ever happened, but normally if you failed English, you failed your HSC, and I'm the only one I know that's failed English mm. and was still giving me HSC, which didn't matter anyway because they had to get 50%. And so, sorry. When that happened, was that like how was the reaction to that? Like, was that a, cru- a pretty crushing thing to kind of, I don't know if you put all your eggs in that basket, but like obviously. To, I don't know if I failed a test and it was kind of a bit of a dream kind of gone, you'd look at that as being such a negative when realistically it probably turned into <laughs> Look, yeah, if you know, at the time it was it was pretty devastating. I went I actually repeated English at night school and something I didn't find out until I <laughs> I failed again. Well actually passed, I got fifty two percent, but they discounted it by five percent because it's your second time and I'm thinking <laughs> If you persist enough, maybe you should have given me two percent. But anyway, I ended up with fifty-two, and they discounted it to forty-seven. So, so you I failed, failed it again. again. 
Yeah. You're probably like, maybe I should yeah, try something else. Yeah, yeah, that's not for me. Um, <laughs> in, in my defence, I, I was at night school and I'd, I actually got work, you know, travelling away. Yeah. And I was I was getting paid pretty well for it and I missed a heap of it. And, uh, yeah, I'd probably moved what on. Do they, what do they say when it's kind of like you've got option B, you're in the middle of option B? There's yeah. this... Um, Tony Robbins say if you want to take the island, you got to burn the boat, and it's yeah, it's 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 a thing that I I find I'm always battling with it because I feel like I do have a fair few option Bs I can fall into, and I keep creating more of them because like you, I don't like repetition. I like to have new things. Even this podcast, for example, yep, I I enjoy this as much as I like racing now. Yep, but it's one of those things that's kind of it isn't it is an option B in a sense. And I'm always worried. I'm like, because is that going to take away from the my racing, or is that going to add to it? Because then it kind of takes away from the repetition. Because if I was just a mountain biker solely, fuck, I'd get bored. You've you've got to have, yeah, you've you've got to have hobbies, and and I guess the trick that you've turned your hobby into an income, which mm. is, um, and, and I've sort of done that to a degree, I suppose, because I, I I like I like building things, and I like building something that's new. There's it's it's like a problem solving thing that I've always enjoyed. You know, I see something, I'll always be looking, how do you make it better? How do you, you know, is that how it should be? Like mm. Just, and and all sorts of inventions through the years, you know, the people that have done things like that and you go, wow, how did you come up with it? And Your brain works in a different way in that sense. I guess I do that same with it on a track, like how can I go faster on this? It's different just like line, yeah. Different, like it's the same thing, just put into a different practice. But yep. some of those things, if you can look at something and be like, how do I make that better? And I know I can make that better, but you, you yeah. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it's just, like I can't look at things. You know when you can just look at certain things and you just can't. You just look at them and there's like whatever reason you can't take out of your head that you could make or change that. Like you just can't. Almost you can't just appreciate it for being what it is. It's like we can make this better, kind of thing. And it can be it can be a good and a bad thing depending at what you're doing it towards. But it is something that I feel like we both have in just kind of different ends of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the kind of weird thing is for me. Um, like I, I, I think about things a lot, but probably when I I come up with an idea or any ideas I've had with where I change things dramatically or think outside the box, it's usually if I'm stressed mm. and brain just changes up a couple of years and it, it's not something... Do you feel like stressed in a sense that you need to make it happen or do you just feel... Can it be an outside thing? Like are you like, okay... Yeah, is- yeah it, it, it can be something that even that I can't really deal with and maybe maybe I'll just start working on something that uh, or thinking about something parallel to it like sort of as a distraction you know you, you know shut up brain sort of what goes on and you wake up and I you know it, even if it's something that's um, that's just worrying but can't be fixed and you go like uh, going round and round in circles on that's not helping at all how about something that I can yeah, it can contribute to you know, yeah. something positive rather than think it just about, you know, that can't be sorted out. I can't have an impact on that. So I go, well, maybe what, something. Yeah, what, yeah, what do I have? What yeah. can I put an impact into? What can I make yeah. into a positive? So your brain yeah. starts ticking over yeah. down that direction. Yeah. And, and instead of laying there, you know, wake, getting up the next morning and feeling down, you wake up a bit excited about, you know. That's, is, what can we do? Yeah. 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 I guess you just need that thing that's going to pull you, pull you kind of along in, in a way. And I suppose if, if if everything's fat, dumb, and happy, and I'm probably not something in my life that I'm ever going to be 
contented. Like when I start doing that, I get bored, and then I'll I'll be looking for something to to entertain me. To yeah, I, I kind of. I think we've both got that problem. <laughs> I like saying it before. I think in my like last few days, and I look at I look at the future, and if I don't have like little things waiting for me, that it's like I was talking to someone the other day. Like put out things in the future that you look forward to, whether it be with people, places, everything. And then if you've always got something to look forward to, you're always on this high of like going into that. Mm. If you've got nothing that's coming up that gets you excited or, or what's, what's makes your heart, yeah, what's the point? What are you looking for? Because mm. I look at like the last few days, when I got up to, I've got to have all these things set up like that, um, that trail run I did and all that. And that was like, like I was nervous as hell for it, but I'm like, that's good. You need something, but it's exci- It's like, it's tough. It's exciting. And then I got to Wollongong and I was like, oh, I'm up here. So I was like, I'll jump out of a plane because that'll be like, I just want to keep putting <laughs> things like that. I, I, I've, um, people talk about a trip of a lifetime and I, I'm in, of the inclination that you do one every year. I think you do one every day. Yeah. Like that's more or less. It's like, <laughs> why, why do you need to go somewhere? Like even this whole idea of a trip is in like, you need to go somewhere. It's like, just make your day really good. Like get yep. up and just start yep. doing yep. stuff that's... Yep. That you enjoy, make yeah. it worth, make, make it, it worthwhile, yeah. make everything worthwhile because that's the thing. It's like everything can be worthwhile if you make it, and that's one of the things when you were saying the thing before about like what does he do, and he's like whatever he wants, but like you've created that thing to be able to do whatever you want. Well, and something that really brought it home to me is, I guess I already knew, but um, I think Jake was about fourteen or fifteen, and you'd have been thirteen, twelve, thirteen when we did that trip around Australia, and. Both Dottie and Jake didn't want to go. They wanted to stay home with their mates, you know. And I remember talking to Jake about it when he was about 18 or 19. And, you know, the whole time he's going, oh, this is boring, this is gay, I hate this, you know, I don't want anything to do with this. You know, want to see, you know, can't get any reception, texting me friends, all the rest of it. Anyway, he's about 18 or 19, just looking at photos and thinking what a good trip it was. And I started talking to him. I said, yeah, do you remember that? And, you know, when we climbed Ayers Rock and then we walked around the Olgas and, you know, the car broke down and we went fishing and he remembered he remembered all of it. And I said, do you remember what you did the month after when you went back to school? I said, anything. Mm-hmm. And just a blank, you know, and that was just passing time until you die. Like for me, if you're on a trip somewhere and you're seeing something different, and you can remember it, that's worthwhile. If you just get up, go to work, and it's a nine-to-five thing, and you, you know, yeah, I've, had, I've had weeks like it. I go to fill out my diary, you know, I've just been in the workshop or whatever, and I go, well, what did I do that day? Mm. And I can't remember, but, I, you know, I rode a motorbike to Cape York in 1985. I can remember something that happened pretty much on every day of that trip, and mm. I can remember it 37 years later. And the month at work before that, maybe a couple of days when I did some things that were interesting, but most of it. That's what I mean, yeah. Like keep, just keep passing put, time putting until that, you yeah, die. Putting it's those just, things in place. Yeah, that you're going to go and do something that's, that you're going to remember, that you're going to enjoy. Because mm. like you say, if you look back and you can't actually build a memory out of anything you've done, why, why are you even here in a certain yeah. sense? And then it comes, I think, because like we are talking today about like when, as soon as you get comfortable in a certain sense and it's just like that's the thing now that I want to do is put myself in uncomfortable situations to see okay well that's what that feels like or that what that's what that does or like in any in just yeah just because even people do I think they get comfortable with how they feel and they're like yeah I feel all right and I'm like wouldn't you rather be excited or scared or fucking alive alive yeah (laughs) and that's one thing the closer you you more you more you I guess not like you know people say like the closer to death they are the more alive you feel in a way i don't think that's so much but i think it doesn't have to be death and it, it, it 
No, it's, but the whole idea of just just outside your comfort zone, I think. I think we just compare that to death or we relate it to death. But I think as long as you're getting outside your comfort zone and doing something, whether it be pushing yourself or growing or just moving forward. Because if you, I hear all the time, if you're not moving forward, you're going backwards. And mm. everyone thinks they're just stationary. It's like, no, nah, you're going. You're going in the opposite direction. Yep. And I yeah. think once you kind of – and I don't, when you get that momentum, when you start actually – living and, and feeling those things and kind of changing the way you are and what you're doing and, and then surrounding yourself. And like it, it, it snowballs so quick yeah. in the sense that it's just like it compounds. So it's like, okay, I'm doing a little bit more. I'm doing a little bit. Oh, I've met this person. Oh, now this has opened up to me. And then it's just like, cause I guess you probably had that with the sawmill. It was just, it was something that you picked up momentum and then things started changing. And then by, by the time you knew it, it was, it was, a it was just going. It was kind of funny when, when, um, got the first prototype together and it was clear that it was yeah it was as good as what was on the market for double the money was there any doubt that it like when you were making that was a doubt about this is going to be as good as it did end up being when you were making it or you pretty there's always a little bit of that creeps in it, it ended up being better than what i estimated it would be it um we went for a little ablade and it meant it could be narrower and then it, we were less power but it cut as fast because of the narrower blade, it was just more efficient. But um, the layout that we used too um, was set up to be worked in, in rough terrain so you could set it up over the log easily. Mm. Um, for anyone listening as well, this is a Lucas Mill portable sawmill. So it's just something you can literally throw on the back of a car. It, where are they mostly sold as well? They're mostly sold... Um, so, um, Australia, they went, they is still the biggest part of the market, but there's a heat, there's 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 literally thousands. Yeah, in it's New world, Guinea. Wa- worldwide. Yeah, I think there are over a hundred countries they're in now. Yeah, and I, I did, we built over twenty thousand. It's pretty crazy because I was I've met someone the other day um, in Poor Punk and I was chatting to him, and he's talking about this house that he built from scratch. And I was like, oh. What sawmill did you use? He's like, oh, Lucas Mill. I was like, oh, yeah, I know the guy that invented that. He's like, oh, really? Then he's like, he just started like ranting on about how good it was or whatever. I thought it was funny. I was just like, yeah. But they kind of, they, they went gangbusters, didn't they? They kind of. We, we, um, there's two machines, like what are called swing blade mills, they're on the market that could cut horizontally and vertically. And they both ran a rail arrangement. And one of them was out of New Zealand called Peterson. And it was good to, to load a log onto. And then there was another one. Um, out of Western Australia called Lewis Saw, and it was it was good rough terrain sawmill. And if if somebody had to take the machine to the log, then the Lewis would normally beat us. And if it was the other way around, we, we went down to Gippsland, and we took a Peterson down because we we're agent for them, and we got absolutely flogged. They sold I think eight machines, and we well, no, it been sorry, they sold six, and we sort of kind of had a deposit on one, and it was like you know. <laughs> we need to change this up. And Peterson had had a machine with rails up in the air instead of on the ground. And between uh, Warren and Dad and I, we came up with an idea that um, allowed for that and good production. And it got that way that, yeah, we, you know, in shootouts over in the States, we've outperformed all the other machines consistently for production. So it worked even if you bring the logs to it, 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 it was that efficient that, um, it just worked better in all circumstances and has been the number one selling machine by by a factor of about five to one ever since it came out. Has there been anything coming close to it now? I, I think the gap's as big as it's ever been. I don't think there's anybody... You know, I, I kind of thought they'd have about a five-year window um, 
when we was got, it, when we got the first one out, and twenty five years later, and it's still was it a bit shocking to see the intake on how many people are actually interested? Because in? I think you didn't you say you had you made a thing when you first came out with them. You said you could put a thousand dollar deposit on one, and that was the way to get in line. And there was. Yeah, we we did that before Elon Musk did. We we a thousand dollar deposit got you on the and a, 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 a refundable, and we had fifty thousand dollars in our bank before we delivered the first one. And we is that kind of open the eyes of well, what direction this is going to my go? my um what, what do you call it like my um oh, business plan for want of a better word like I, I I didn't even know about business plans, but my thoughts were if we if we could build. 50 a year. I think we're sold about 30, 35 Petersons a year. And I thought if we could build 50 of these machines a year, that would be a, a raging success. Yeah. We had 50 before the first one was finished. We had 130 by the end of the first year. And that was only because we were trying to gear up to build You're them. You're trying to get, start up the factory as well as yeah, producing and, them. And we did a thousand machines in a thousand days. So within. Well, less than three years. That was the thing. A thousand days, we delivered our thousands machine, mm. and and I think, yeah. So within two, about two and a half years, we'd outsold everything else combined, and I think by about um, must have been about two thousand and four, about our tenth year, we actually built a thousand in a year. Mm. So it it way way beyond. <laughs> so you yeah, what have you got fifty in the first year and. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought if we you know, plugged along at 50 a year... You'd be happy, yeah. That'd be a, a raging success. And as I said, we had deposits for 50 by... Um, and probably could have sold more in the first year because it, it blew out to literally weeks and weeks on waiting periods and people weren't keen to put a deposit down. You would tell them how long and that would get you in the line. Mm. And uh, I don't think... I don't think we'd have delivered, had a machine ready to... You know, in in stock effectively until about two or three years in. So if you wanted one, <laughs> that's the waiting. Yeah, the yeah. Waiting it, time it, on it. It was pretty funny. Carl Peterson, uh, sorry, Carl um, Watson, a mate of mine down in Gippsland. He was I was staying at his place, and he come onto the site. Then I was demonstrating a sawmill, and the the sawmills for the field days were sold, you know, weeks beforehand. I'd say, look, um, if you're down in that area and you put a deposit on this one, we'll give you the a, a We'll get free delivery, and we'll give you a saw blade. Like we'll put a blade on and demo with that, and you'll get that and yeah. the blade you'd normally get with it. So it was yeah. about a four hundred dollar cherry, and they didn't have to drive up. So people had, and sometimes it would get them. Yeah, you know, if they're in an area, we'd maybe five hundred dollars off or whatever. Anyway, I'd gone off to get a pie or something for lunch, and came back, and there's a guy here with with uh, Carl, and he's like. Oh, oh, I want a saw, Lucas Mill, I want a sawmill. Oh, yeah, yeah we, we can do one of them for you. And he goes, oh, yeah, when can I have it? And I said, oh, it's um, about a six-week waiting period for one. You know, you put a deposit down now, in six weeks we'll deliver you a machine. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's that's no good to me. So I want one right now. So he said, I want that one. I said, oh, I said, um, it's sold. You can't have it. Oh, he goes, you sure? He said, oh, he said I'll give you $1,000 more for it. I went, look, I, I can't do that. I said, yeah. He said, $2,000 more. I said, look, you can talk to the guy who's brought it. And he goes, oh, that's no good. And anyway, they were taking the piss. It was, it was his mill. He oh, he, oh, he's just making sure that you didn't sell it on him. <laughs> he was, he'd, Carl and he had teed it up to 
Oh, so yeah. they're just taking the piss out of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I wonder I, how it would have gone if you said, okay, two grand. <laughs> would have been funny, yeah. I wish I'd known, but Carl's like standing back and he's in tears, you know, bloody. He said, oh, yeah, if I, if I can't have this one, I'm not going to have one. And I said, well, it looks like you're not going to have one then. And then he goes, hi, I'm such and yeah, mm. whatever his name was. Well, I guess at that point, you're not trying to, you're probably not going to be stingy on money when you've got that many orders coming in. You go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably piss off a customer, a possible future, cu- cu- well, a, a present customer to give it to some other guy for a thousand bucks. I guess that's just where. Yeah. Look, the, the the other thing about it is, is usually the guys that were like that, that were really pushy, and you didn't want them as customers because they'd be a pain in the neck. You know, that something'd go wrong, and they'd use this same bloody belligerent, throw host- more money and uh, more power, and yeah, yeah, they'd be you know yelling at the secretaries because they you know you shipped them a blade and it didn't turn up yesterday. You know, that that's how those characters ended up and I, I sort of got that way with them if, if that's how they'll behave and you'd I'd, I'd be backing away from you. You didn't really didn't want them as customers. Yeah. Your money's not worth worth the hassle, worth the shit. Yeah, you'll be you'll be yeah. it, it's pretty funny when you look at someone that does just want to throw money at someone that doesn't care for money. It's like it's like it's almost when you see people going to a um like a cafe or something like that. And they're just so rude to the staff because they think they've got this power of I'm paying you to do something for me. So that means I've got this I'm, I'm, it's big syndrome kind of thing. And I see it. I hate it. I remember I was in Maya and there's this guy in front of me just, just being so rude and mean to this poor girl. Yeah. And, and, she, and she's she's on just, wages. She's just copping it. I, just, I remember I said something to him. I was like, are you serious? Can Like, what's what's the problem? And then he's just like, I'm not talking to you. I'm like, yeah, you're talking to her, but you're talking horrible. And oh. then she's just like, I'll get the manager. And he's just like, that, like just in her face. And I'm just like, what? Are, like, you poor guy. Like, what's happened to you to make you this shit? <laughs> like, that's what I look, look at now. Like, I felt sorry. For, I don't, because I don't really get angry in, in situations like that. I just think I feel sorry for you because something has messed you up. The You're throwing your in, shitty insecurities at this poor girl at Myers because you couldn't get a set pet of glasses. I'm like, your life sucks. Like, it's kind of shit what yeah, you're doing to yeah, her. You're, but you're, she's you're, probably, yeah, you've been miserable. And look, uh, look we, we had, I had, yeah, like a, some rails got damaged on a sawmill. Mm. A guy, drove a forklift through him and his machine was, you know, delayed because of it. And he's ringing up and abusing our secretary, just swearing at her. And I'm listening to it. You know, you can hear it. She's holding it back and yelling and screaming. I said, put, put me through. And I I just said, uh, send your money back. I don't want you as a customer. I said, I don't pay her enough to listen to you swearing yeah. at her. It's not not on. You know, calm the hell down. You're going to swear at someone, you can swear at me. I've got my big boy pants on. I'll probably tell you where to go, but do, do not swear at her. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fuck. But yeah, just, I guess it's just you don't have that brain fade where you just don't think about it. And it, it's just shit. Because I know sometimes I've reacted poorly towards people, but that's just you're in that because you don't really know. They obviously don't know what mood you're in or what you're feeling or whatever. But now if I'm in a shit mood, I just I just disappear. You don't need to be. You no one. You just get to that point where you're just like, no one around me is going to fix this. I don't want anyone to fix it. Yeah, and I don't want to be shit towards anyone because sometimes people you just snap on some things, and it's it's not even that person's. No, they no, haven't. No, done, they no, haven't done anything, no, no, but they, just they wear the baggage from what. Yeah, is, yeah. No. But I think at that point you should just know. Okay, I'm I'm there now. Let's get the fuck out of here. Let's just get out for a bit. And normally, and like that, because then you actually be with your own thoughts, which I guess people don't like to be. So instead of being with their own thoughts and working out their own problems, they go, "I'm just going to go throw this negative shit directly in some stranger's face," and then they can deal with it. 
that that's one thing I guess in the in the job you've got you go and get on a bike and practice and be in your own head and and yeah it's it's you, exercise is a good way to well the thing with the riding and uh, even I feel like I I I push myself to a, a place where I, nothing else makes me push myself that far and even when I did this trail race the other day in my head I'm just literally how far can I push myself right now and that's like, like I said, I how many feet vertical did you do? Fifteen hundred up and down. So we did fifteen hundred climbing and fifteen hundred descending, and it was it's like honest, it was harder than the marathon I did. Fifteen hundred feet or meters? Meters. So a mile. I I, I climbed self propelled before I did, brought me an e bike. I climbed. Um, I did sixteen hundred in a day and down, but down's easy. Mm. But. Yeah, that's the thing you don't get. The, I couldn't believe the harshness. Got, like my legs was more sore running down than they were going up. Like right. I would I would go do the fifteen hundred climbing again. I'd probably do a two. I would rather do more than that climbing with no running down. Like if you said if, which of, one because of the jarring, the jarring. Yeah, if you said I had to go run down that yeah, same I, distance, I, I, I'd I rather climb over descend. Your toes and everything just get hammered, don't they? Mm. But it's, yeah, it was. But the thing we talk about, just like the whole meditation thing, like I'm doing that not just for meditations. I guess it's a bit of self development. Is what can we take? What can we do? But I think it's again, it's just leaving those things in your life that I've, I was looking forward to that because mm. I didn't know what was on the other side of that. And I think that's the thing. It's like I go into that and I go, well, fuck, I don't know how I'm going to go here. I bet I'm going to like. And even my thing, like I was happy how much. I remember they had two spots. They had one bit when you climb up Baker's Gully. And it was just this vertical climb for ages, and it was right near the top. I could see the top, and a guy was coming up behind me that was going to pass me. And I was putting in my head, I was like, "He's not going to pass me, and I'm not going to stop jogging or like power walking to this point." And I just like fully about to almost black out, like just to the point where your head's throbbing. I think my heart was like 190 or something, and like mm. get to the top, and then I'm just like, "Okay, now I'm going to walk for a bit." Like I'm wrecked. But it's just like I set <laughs> that point. goal, yeah. set that goal, and then like you achieve it, and you do, you do, you go in on yourself when you're in those dark places, in that pain and in that, that discomfort. So if you can go to there and then overcome that, it's just like, okay. Because someone said to me the other day, it's just like everyone's trying to be a good athlete. It's just, just be a good person. <laughs> but being a good athlete can make you a better person at the same time. But it's just like everyone's trying to be a better racer and a better all this. I'm like, just make yourself a good person. Do the things that you should do. And then that will in turn. That'll come to you. Even like today we went for that trail bike ride. That hill seemed awfully a lot easier to climb up than the other day. And it's just that perception of how hard this is. And as soon as you think something's not that hard, it's normally not as hard as you think it is. So I like, yeah, you can build things up. I know that. Yeah, you build things up easy, and then people get terrified by those things. Like they'll be yeah. like, I guess the idea, if you looked at the sawmill thing, is like, okay, let's make a global sawmill and sell this many mills, and you can set that up in your head as be like, well, that's probably that's a bit that's a bit almost far fetched, and you can scare yourself off in that way as well because it I, seems I, like such a big. I, I think the best way. From my perspective of how that could limit you, I worked as a rigger for years and worked up to, you know, 45, 50 storeys up. And if I laid a, a piece of board on the ground four inches wide and bet you a million dollars you could walk along it, you'd do it in a heartbeat. Mm. You wouldn't even think about it. But you put it up 50 storeys and you walk along that same. It doesn't have to be a windy day, just a dead calm day. Mm. You've got it. It's 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 but you don't look at the wood, you look at the fall. Mm. And that's something that having done that and you realise how it messes with your head, you know, what the what the downside is and you're thinking about the downside. <laughs> you know, lay it on the 
thing and a million dollars to lose and you you don't see that. Mm. You know, it's it's not you know even even eight inches wide. People won't walk steel eight inches wide. You know, a thousand feet. Up, yeah. they, they won't do it. They just most you know riggers will sort of you build yourself up to it and you get used to it to the point where you can and you it gets to where you're looking at the steel, not at the at the fall. Mm. And you can do it, but it's only a mindset. That's all that makes a difference. And yeah, a lot of fear involved in it. Yeah, and if you get it, and the fear is what will kill you. It's looking at look at you. You focus on the failure. That's the thing. You go you you go towards it. That's why you see confident people. They're confident in in their in business or an athlete or whatever because they're not looking at all the the shit that can go wrong. They're they're only looking forward. This is what I'm going to do. This is how it's going to work. And picture Mm. it in your head, and that's what what it is. And that's if you're up there. You know, a couple of times I had things happen at, at altitude and I know damn well if you seize up or you choke up, it's it's going to end badly. Mm. you you just got to do what you know you can do and, and think about that. Be calm. And that's the thing, going back to control what you can, your heart rate, your breath. I know, um, and I'll you know, get back to flying, I, I had a... Uh, A, 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 effectively, a belt fire. I got oil on the belts of the helicopter. Mm. We didn't. We, we've still. We still haven't gone back. We got into you going to <laughs> go, 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 go on I mean, I reckon it's funny because we, we're going to, again bouncing around. So we'll kind of get a bit of a backstory because you wanted to be in the air force, didn't happen. So then instead of that, you decide to just build your own helicopter. Which what was it? A Robins rode rode away rode away helicopter. So it was like I remember when we went and picked it up. And it was just in all these crates. Seven boxes. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, I probably back then I probably would have been thinking to mum, like, why does dad buy his helicopter in boxes? Because <laughs> it just didn't seem like how, it, I can't remember how my brain would have worked back then, but it probably just seemed a bit odd. Like, I don't think most people's parents that were buying helicopters that were coming in boxes. So it was just probably a bit of a funny one. And then you ended up building it with, um, who did you Jimmy, build it with? Jimmy Goldsworthy. Because how long, how long did that take you to build it from, from, helicopter in a box to an actual flying toy it was a bit of a a thing I, I i made good progress i think i think it ended up from when it was delivered to when it first flew was about 18 months two years but um i, I probably should have known i had a problem i got about <laughs> two-thirds of the way through it and they did a recall on one of the major components and it was part of what had failed on mine in the future yeah, well, they went from a 30-millimetre shaft on this component to a 35, and they, I had to pull it all apart and set it up again, and that was sort of a, probably the fact that, you know, hang on, this has got a component in it that failed, and that brings home to you that you, you know, you're playing for sheep stations, you're playing for keeps. It's, mm. it's an experimental helicopter, and if it goes wrong, it's going to go... Yeah, shit's, gonna go, shit's failing, yeah. yeah. What else is going to fail? Did you think that straight away when you returned the part? Because I guess a lot of people would just brush that off. And, oh, okay. Like it, 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 it hit home that you know they started reading up on how many that had two or three of them fail, and <laughs> you know at that point I'm going oh, okay yeah. these this is this is experimental this isn't something that's were they like I guess they yeah how how old was the company or the that that model of helicopter when when you... <sighs> the the, the rotorways were a um a moving meal it started out I, I think it was at late sixties early seventies and they built a lot of them and they'd but they'd evolved, you know. They they were experimental, and there there was things about them that made them um, very futuristic. Like they were running um, dual ignition, dual fuel injection. Like the, you know, ended up flying Robin Robinsons, and that the engines in them 
are absolutely stone age. People think helicopters are advanced, but the it's running magnetos and air cooled and, and nothing that you've seen in cars or or motorbikes for for fifty years. Mm. Now the engine in the, in my and it's it's probably the most modern small helicopters are forty four Robinson and the engine's designed about nineteen fifty eight. <laughs> And it looks like a Volkswagen, an oversized Volkswagen engine. Now it's a huge thing, and it's it's um, nine liter engine, and you know each cylinder is about as big as what my car is on its own, just one piston, and but very understressed and slow revving. And but do you think they're just not upgrading it because of everything's going to go towards battery and drone technology more or less? And no, like- no, no. It's I, I think the biggest thing that happened with the industry and it's something that we had a bit of a problem with with the sawmills was the this mindset of suing people for having a problem and people not wanting to admit they've got problems because of it um a a classic example is uh Cessna had an issue um and this is this is very interesting The, the, the aircraft were taking off nosing up stalling and crashing and as stupid as it seems, it was more prone to women pilot having women pilots having happen than male pilots. Mm. And as a general rule, out the women pilots are actually better. They're not quite as likely to say, "Hold me beer and watch this for skill." Yeah. Um, now, what they figured out was the seats in these aircraft have got like a like a dog series of dogs, and there's a lever that locks down and over time they wear and they round off and what was happening is you, you'd think it's locked into place mm. you're strapped into a five point harness you take off the nose comes up the latch would let go the seat would go all the way back oh. and so the, the harness comes back in your hand nose comes up now women were more terrifying. prone to it because they're just slightly and they couldn't push the harness forward far enough to get the nose down to stop the stall so they're strapped to a seat that's gone six inches backwards yeah you know, what do they do? Try and kick the harness forward with their feet? Blind panic, you've got two or three seconds to get this yeah, sorted you don't have out. time for it. That, that would be such a shit feeling getting pushed to that. Like, oh. And that's the kind of thing that's happened. So nobody's going to change anything because if you change it and admit that this is a problem, then you get sued for it. And you know, they, they actually stopped making single-engine aircraft because of these nonsense legal um yeah, it's, it's it's like you're going to let the problem stay out there because you're not admitting to it. People are going to probably possibly well, die or get injured because of it. We were advised to do that with our sawmills. We had a thing where there was stops bolted onto the end of it and a, a guy operated without these track stops on and uh, he pushed it off the end of the rails and he would have been okay but the front wheels dropped off and he panicked and he pulled backwards and it was still like like the saw was behind a guard he'd have been okay but he slammed it into the log that hard that it pulled the blade out from behind the guard and he drove his knee into it trying to pull it back up onto the rails mm. and you know out of however many thousand sawmills we've sold that was the only injury that we'd had now we uh came up with two solutions to fix it one of them was to put um, we, we changed the, the stops so that they couldn't be unbolted. We actually swaged the bolts over so that they pivoted down out of the road when you had to put the extensions in rather than take them off. It's a pretty simple fix. But HIH, in their um, uh, wisdom, said, don't change it. You'll, you've admitted a problem. 
and I sort of said, fitting seatbelts to cars doesn't admit a problem. It just admits that we've... It adds a it's solution. Just, it's, it's a solution. It just makes it safer. Mm. And I said, there, there was no problem with what we had if you bolted the stops on, but people... Won't do it, yeah. People don't will forget to. They don't listen. And so you, you, you try and make it more foolproof. But you know, their advice was that either the lawyers will have a field day with it, don't fit it. We, we actually spent $100,000 to retrofit all of the cell mills we'd made previously because I, I was horrified. I started calling people and telling them what had happened. What happened with the guy? Did he, he sue, didn't he, for the... He, he did, and... We were insured under HIH and they were, it was going to, and I'm probably not meant to talk about it, I probably bloody, but anyway, the, the bottom line was that um, HIH went broke a month before we went to court with the only injury we'd ever had. We'd been paying 50000 a year for insurance and lost our insurance company. The week before. A month before. A month before. Was, yeah. And anyway, eventually um, I think a company called Alliance took it over and they were absolutely inundated with all HIH stuff and they just said, pay it out. You know, pay the and I said, look, you know, what will that do for our insurance? You know, we, we, if we admit liability, what are you going to call it? And he said, oh, you don't have to do that. You just pay out the claim. And the government gave us a bucket full of money, just throw it at them. Yeah. And I, I said, well, give me the money. We'll fight it. And I said, no, no. If if you decide to fight it, you'll get nothing from us. So if you fight it and win it, it's going to cost you a couple hundred thousand dollars at least. Yeah. If you fight it and lose, it'll cost you the $200,000 that you've spent on lawyers. Then mm. you'll have to pay his lawyers and then you'll have to pay the compensation. So if you, if you win, it'll cost you 200000 If you lose, it'll cost you 600000 ish. Yeah. And if you just roll over and play dead, it cost you nothing. The government mm. will pay out. So Good with that. But the, the mindset is with that type of uh, legal thing, it's, you got a victim. Where's the money? Pay for his injury. You know, it's 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 not really got to do with have you done something that's really dangerous or or uh, what would you call it or um, negligent. The yeah, you know, they just set it up that wide that there's victims here that need something to help them for the rest of their life. This is this is where you the, go. This is what you yeah, get. Yeah, and, and and you kind of sort of see how it's worked out, but. Yeah, that that's why Cessna stopped building single engine aircraft. You know, the judge said, "Oh, yeah, well, we should add two motors." It's it's not that simple. Yeah, it's pretty. Fu- yeah, it's fu- it's funny. Yeah, they want they want to keep the problem there, but then it's just going to keep rearing its head. Yeah, and you're just going to keep dealing with it. Yeah, and and things. Is that the only injury that you've, um, you've had from that? Well, recollection, mate. There was there was one in South Africa, but it was. Uh, Aftermarket bits and pieces. That's the only other one I know of. There's probably been a. You know, it's only two I can. Only serious ones, yeah. Yeah, but I guess even where you see some of these mills, they just get taken out in the middle of nowhere, and you just wonder how much. <laughs> like you're trying to trying, trying to set the thing up and do everything, and in the middle of maybe I, look, New I, Guinea or somewhere. I, 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 I think that speaks volumes for it because there are tens of thousands of them out there. And even if we're talking about chainsaws or motorbikes or lawnmowers, the injury levels will be high. Like it for for an industry that's notoriously dangerous, <laughs> you got spinning blades. <laughs> exactly, it's a frisbee from hell. You know, that's yeah. that's the whole thing. And uh, you know, if, if there was an accident in Australia, we'd know about it. And they just doesn't happen. Yeah, no, no. I think it's I think it's got a record. You know, like it was at twenty six, twenty seven years ago, more than ten thousand sawmills. And 
Yeah, because it was just when I came into the world, pretty much, wasn't it? I would have been a uh, yeah, well, it, born as it was. It, we it was released young. it between yeah. You know, Jake was ninety three, you were ninety five, and I was actually the day you were born, I was doing the first commercial promotional video. That was my movie career. Think, that was the last time I was looking at a camera. I was going to say, you reckon that's a bit of a trip now, thinking about that? Now, now we're here? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's pretty funny. I was, I, 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 was, I just eyeballed the camera because I think the whole time I was doing it, I'd cut a log and I'd look at the camera. And you do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's funny. Yeah. You feel like <laughs> I think back to I was thinking the other day about a moment that happened, and then like you'll say something or do something or something will happen, and then just say a month later, like from that moment, all this new stuff's happened. But like you talked about in in that moment, and it's just like you kind of look back to that moment, and it's like if you could see what was about to come, like if you saw what was about to happen or what was like the next thing that's coming. Oh, it's when you can do that. I think that's the whole thing about leaving things in the future. If you can say something like what's going to happen if I put this effort into this or kind of like you have that moment mm. and then just say you look forward to a year and you go, whoa, and then it's like the camera's back in your face and you're like, fuck, that was, that was, that was a bit of a rush. Like, yeah, yeah. I'd, um, Like if you look back at that moment talking to that, the grabber camera and then I know this is fast forward a long way, but then to now and you're just like, fuck. That's and, you, and you wonder whether you, if you mess it up, like if you yeah, you know, I, I know sometimes I'm writing my diary three or four days and what I did on that day and you think, I spent all that day doing something that didn't work out. Like, yeah. how do I write it in the diary? This was a way I wasted this yeah. day. Doing, you know, you've got to write but it that's up. Exactly, I always look at that stuff, though. You say you wasted it for what you do, but it's this whole thing. I was talking to someone, you know how they say like everything happens for a reason kind of shit? Totally agree. Everything does happen for a reason, but you've got to find what that reason is because people, yeah, people, try and oh, try and use it to your advantage. Like, use like, yeah, use it to lesson to learn because you hear. I always see like younger people or like even people that think they're fucking spiritual in some way, and they just go, oh, "Everything happens for a reason." And that's it's like they put insurance on the shit thing they've just done without actually putting any effort into fixing that thing. So it's like, oh, that happened for a reason. I'm like, okay. What's the reason? <laughs> What's the reason this bad shit keeps happening to you? Because you keep doing bad shit? Because you're not doing this or that? You haven't thought it through. Yeah, and you haven't yeah. learned from the lesson from yeah. <laughs> What's yeah. The, yeah? But people just will say, like it. Oh yeah, just it all happens for a reason. It's just like if you're not searching for reasons why it's happening, you're not doing anything. It's one of the cliches that when I, you know, getting back to being a pilot, and I say you start out with a bag full of luck and a and a and a. And an, and an empty bag of experience, and you want to make sure you get the bag full of experience full before the one. Yeah, <laughs> the luck, luck runs, runs out. out yeah, and, and look, that was something that um, you know, when uh, I was early days of my flying, um, six of us flew up to Wagga for the centennial. Yeah, you know, for the two thousand and three um, you know, centennial of flight. We got we've gotten so far off. I just remember back we were on the road away thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, we're going to travel. Keeping up, jumping and, around again. But yeah, this. But yeah, yeah, flew the road away up there and, and yeah. had had uh, photo taken in the sports aviator magazine and all the rest of it. And within a year, the other five of those aircraft had been crashed mm. and a couple of fatalities as well. So I I retired that aircraft. Actually, Peter McDougall brought us flying again now, but it sat. How does he feel about flying that? Because you had a big moment as well, where I guess, yeah, I'd, I'd actually had um, I'd been supplied, and this is a little bit about um, 
dotting the bloody I's and crossing the T's. I was giving the given the wrong oil for the oil bath on it, and the later model ones, the oil bath was sealed, and mine was an open oil bath. It just had, you know, um, it's like where the mask came out the top of it. There was just like a, a water shroud, but it was open to the atmosphere, and it was meant to have this clingy sort of oil. And the later model ones, they put a thinner oil because it just kept the chain a bit cooler, and they supplied me the wrong oil. But what it did was it threw oil all over the engine bay, and it got on the belts, on the drive belts. That's where they started slipping, didn't they? Yep, that's at the forced landing. That um. Talk, talk us through that as well, because that was it wasn't far from our house. You just took off, and then it was pretty much instant kind of I'd, massive fat. Yeah, it was it was kind of funny because when I actually did a lot of testing, I'd just done a hundred hourly on. I'd done a hundred hours on the aircraft. There'd been some accidents. I was being pretty careful about making sure everything was right, and I'd hover tested it just because it had new belts on it and you had to stretch and make sure they were all bedded in and you know tested temperatures so i'd done all that not a drop of oil on anything anyway i i took off and um you've got a you've got two tacos on a helicopter and the, and the needles point at each other and one of them's your rotor speed and the other's the engine speed now if the belts slip the engine speed will climb and the belt speed will you know the Rotor speed will stay the same, and if you're if you're not getting enough power, and eventually, because the rotors on a helicopter spin at a constant rate, it's not like a car where um, the revs alter. The the revs are at what's a hundred percent. You don't even get a taco that tells you how many it is. It's just that's a hundred percent. That's what you run it at. You only got about two percent variation either side of it. Anyway, I was climbing out, and I noticed the rotor speed was dropping off a little bit, and I pulled the the revs or more power. And it flared. the The rotor, the engine taco, went ten percent above where it's meant to so be. It just slipped really. And I, I rolled out of the power so and just went to cruise because helicopters are funny things. They need um, a lot of power at hover. They need minimal power at about fifty knots, about hundred kilometres now. They don't. That, that's the minimal amount of power they need to stay in the air to hover. They. You know, so it takes a hundred horsepower to hover. You can you can actually go along at a cruise speed at fifty knots and probably only use 70, 60, 70 horsepower mm. in a roadway anyway. A big helicopter. Why, why is that? Um, it's because when you're in a hover, your um, tail rotor has to hold the aircraft. Yeah, the wind's not. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. once you get up to cruise speed, you've got like a little tail fin, and that does the job of the tail rotor. It yeah, takes the, the, the torque the in the wind. Yeah, to yeah, to I, stabilize I your direction. You, yeah, mm-hmm. I was actually looking at a heli- watching a helicopter fly over the other day, and really kind of actually working out how it's working. That makes yeah, that makes sense. So because it's cutting through the air, that's keeping it straight. So it's yep. only focusing yep. on you're getting it for free. You're getting your, yeah. your direction for free because the thing's trying to take off in the wrong way. Yeah, like a, on big helicopters, a tail rotor can take 400 horsepower. At, yeah, it's it, holding it, you. Yeah, it's stopping you from turning into an egg beater. Yeah. But because um, that's yeah, you know it's funny. I've got I've, I've, you've obviously built helicopters flying them. I wasn't until the other day when I was watching a helicopter fly past, and I really kind of try to understand how it actually worked, and that's just kind of like made me understand it even more. But yeah, it's just the the complexities of them. You know, people talk about rocket science. There was active rockets in World War Two, and there was atomic bombs, but there was no helicopters getting flown. Yeah, they, they were flying a few of them, but they yeah. never used them. They never they were never operational. Mm. And I guess that talks about how complex they are, because there's, yeah, they're they're <laughs> tricky, tricky thing. They're a very tricky thing, and the more you get to know about them, there's there's things like phase lag, where your input for what the rotor's doing is you know ninety degrees before it happens, and all this type of thing. And it's 
yeah, they were a lot more complicated than what I thought when I started building it. And it was one thing about <laughs> building it was I learnt a you lot. Of, yeah, yeah, you actually understood as you went I along. I understood what I'd built, and yeah. that, that's a little bit sobering too sometimes. Well, that's not, yeah, you know who's put this together, <laughs> and you probably trust them. You hope you trust them. Um, back, so we're still, we're still in the middle of the crash. So you're, well, like, not crash, but emergency <laughs> landing. Yeah. So yeah. you're coming in, the belts have slipped, you've revved it, it's flared. It's, you come back, you realize that, and now you're kind of on a downwards. I'm, I'm ma- managing straight and level, and the first thought was head for Aubrey Airport, ambulances, fire trucks, the whole thing. And I thought I've got to fly over what a, a pilot's called Tiger Country. There's a timbered area I had to fly over. And I thought if I have these belts slip badly there, I'm going into the trees, and that's probably going to end in. Mm. Very, it's, a fair, it's still a fair fly to get to. It, it is. It would be twenty odd minutes. I, I wouldn't. You have wouldn't made, have made it. No, it was never going to get there. But that was the that was the initial thought. You know, radio them say you know, get the get the um, emergency gear lined up, ready to go. I've got a problem, and I thought, no, that's not going to happen. And pro- probably I'd, I'd, I'd probably mucked around down that few seconds and found out that this is I'm running out of. Yeah, it's all coming. I'm running out of. I'm running out of drive here. I'm not going to have. Mm. any effective engine and people think when the motor stops in the helicopter it's just the end but it's not um what's it called when you auto rotation and you're you're like a sycamore seed that'll just spin down and it's controlled descent it's about you're heading for the ground at about 32 kilometers an hour vertical about 1500 feet a minute so you'd (laughs) If you're at 1,500 feet, you're on the ground in 60 seconds and it doesn't matter what you do, that's what's going to happen. I'd Probably a little bit more than that because I was still getting some power. Yeah, you still, still I kept the yeah. throttle into it, so it was probably – it kept me descent down, but I, I, there was no way known if I tried to hover, I'd have just you turned it. You would have just dropped. You should have been a smoke splat, machine. Splattered egg, yeah. Yeah. When you said – because we talked about this before and I, I was talking about this on this podcast as well, but it's like the idea of when you get into the flow state when it's like all your focus, all your attention, everything gets put on this. And you said that was probably the closest you think you felt to – like time probably would have changed. It, it, like it, yeah. This it, was it, life it, or death it was kind se- of shit. It was sec- I, I, Look, I wouldn't, probably wouldn't have been – it probably would have been about 1,000 feet maximum. So from when I decided to put it down, 30, 40 seconds. Yeah, so that's a time frame between whether it's probably the longest forty seconds of my life. It wouldn't have, yeah, it didn't feel like that, did it? Uh, No, but um, absolutely um, nailed the like you with the helicopter, you flare, you bring the nose up, and it puts the wind through the rotor, and it spins up quicker, and that takes the forward speed out, and then you push forward and level off, and then pull the collective now. If you've got a real nice open area, you can pretty much just bring the nose up and put it on the skids and you hit the ground at at pace. But it was dry grass and it was into a a pretty rough paddock. It wasn't landing on a flat football field. And if your skids go into the grass and catch it, you can just put you up on the the nose. And it it stopped in uh, about four feet Mm. from when I hit the deck to when it all pulled up. He's gone... It's all right, it's all part of it. We'll get there. It'll change it better in the dark. <laughs> um, yeah, so you, you've, you've yeah, made this decision, how you're going to come in, how you're going to land well, the thing. We'd had a fire at the back of the property only about a week before and it had about 20 trucks drive up and they'd beaten all the grass flat for a fairly wide section and so you could see the humps and bumps and there was no you know 18-inch tall because it was actually... Still on a bit of an angle though, wasn't it? it yeah, wasn't completely it was flat. a bit of a cross plain but yeah that that's not too you know it's probably five three or four degrees five degrees so you know it's something you can deal with 
um, that I thought I can put it down on that track. I know that there's no huge holes and I know that I'm not going to have grass up underneath the exhaust pipe the second it comes to a stop because even Ralph Pink on board and I said, you get out and make sure there's nothing touching the pipes. We don't want the whole thing to burn to the ground or once light the valley there, up yeah. once we get it. Win the war that lose the battle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, But uh, I, I got out of it and I rang, must have rang Dad or someone to come and bring you know, bring a car over to pick it up. And I hopped out and it was all, all good and well, called him, come and picked it up and in about, I reckon it was about an hour later I went to ring the guy who was the agent because I figured out what had gone on that he'd sold me this wrong oil. Yeah. And I got the phone out to call him and my hand's just shaken, just, just yeah, went, like, in, went into shock or whatever you want to call it. Just yeah. Took that just long delayed go. shock, yeah. Yeah, got out and talked to, to to Ralph like, yeah, do that every day of the week and started yeah. thinking about what the repercussions could have been if it had gone wrong. Mm. But, you know, at the time just fly it. Yeah, right you, well, that's the thing, if you had that reaction in that moment... You might not be here now. No, you made a dumb decision and tried to go somewhere where we couldn't. Yeah, but it's that, yeah, it's split second. I guess it's intuition. It's all these million things that come together in one, but yeah, it would have been a moment. I remember I didn't, I didn't grasp the serious, seriousness of it at all when it happened. Yeah. I just thought, I just, I just remember you guys coming back and then Ralphie was real kind of shaken up by it. And I, <laughs> I didn't think anything of it. I thought you guys just went up and, oh, something's not right with the helicopter. I'll just put it down and work out what it is. It wasn't like... Ralph, it's, Ralph, it's, Ralph doesn't scare real easy either. You know, nah. he's, a, he's a guy that's probably ridden, you know, he raced Ducatis. At a, he was actually going to go to um, America to race a triple eight Ducati back in the day. You know, mm. 200 mile an hour motorbike and... It didn't come about. He, he actually cartwheeled it a week beforehand and smashed the computer and was only one of them in captivity. But oh. <laughs> yeah. I wonder with that moment what would be different now if he... Oh, see, I don't like... I See, when you hear that stuff to me and like what would happen in that moment if that didn't go that direction or changed or what, yeah, it can... Like a, lot of, a lot of things like that, they can... Because me, I was talking to Jack before because um, last time he came and visited me when I was living... Um, over in Wodonga, I went for a ride and he crashed and broke his collarbone. And this was after the first World Cup where I'd qualified second and then got third. He qualified in top 10 and got six. Mm. So he almost got the double podium. Mm. And then I thought back that just after that, he came and visited me and he crashed and broke his collarbone. And I was just thinking, because like he came down this time and I was just like, let's just go easy tomorrow, nothing crazy kind of thing. Because I, But I thought back to that moment. And it's just like that moment of the, him crashing in that. like that. How much oh, did it change his career? His career, my career, like the whole circuit, like that, just mm. that one thing mm. getting taken out. Because then the weekend after, I went to Fort William, put a tire on that blew off, and I got knocked out. If Jack was there, maybe he got put on the back of his bike, or maybe it would have got put like it might, like that might not butterfly effect. Oh, stuff. it trips me out sometimes when yeah. I think about that because I'm just like, fuck, like it's like, or oh, it could have been worse. Something else could have, like it could have yeah, got put on yeah, Jack's. Yeah. It could have got put, that's the yeah. thing. It can go either. Cause that's the other thing. We always, we always look at the good version of what we think would have happened if a bad thing didn't happen. Mm. But I always say to people, I'm like, if you're happy now, bad things didn't really happen. Lessons just happen. You learn from them now. If you're happy now, you're happy now. But it's always funny. It's like, we always look at, oh, if he didn't break his collarbone, it would have been really good maybe. But like if he didn't break his collarbone, we could have been in a car accident. We're all dead now. Yeah, like realistically, yeah, like that's yeah, the thing. We could, yeah. we might have not gone to hospital. We might have something. So it's like you can't. 
Yeah, that butterfly effect, something. That it can go either either way. Interesting thing that I saw about that, and there's people that sort of talk about whether time travel's possible, and they talk about going back and changing one tiny little thing and that everything's changed. Every, yeah. It, and then I because oh, I don't think people, well, I didn't understand like how such a small thing that you'd perceive as nothing Mm. Like what effect that actually has. Mm. And it's so funny because I always tell people, I'm like, look back in your life to something that you perceived as being fucking terrible, horrible. And then you look forward to now and you probably look at me like, whoa, that's probably one of the best things that could have happened to me. But it's like you well, don't. That, that, that 1% in English. Exactly. Yeah, look, that, that's not. Where, like where, where would you be now? Where would you be now? Like, yeah, well, yeah, I'd, I'd gone flying and I'd have... Earlier would have been aeroplanes. That would have been how it would come out. And, and I'm guessing, like at that point, you wouldn't be here. That, that'd be <laughs> yeah, exactly. Up. Exactly. That's. And, but look at that. That mass test determined whether I'm here or not. The, the, the English. I passed the mass oh, test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, got, imagine if you failed the mass test as well. Maybe them two of me. <laughs> um. <laughs> um, but exactly. That's but, good. <laughs> but that's what I say now. It's like. You could look at that moment as 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 a perceived negative, but it's just like, and, and the thing is, with something like that, it's not like yeah, you know, the math test it's right or it's wrong. But yeah. an English test, you know, your answers it's not right or wrong. It's the teacher's perception of what it is. If, yeah. if she'd had a better coffee that morning, or he'd had a better coffee, who knows how? Yeah, you know, they're feeling a bit what, happier. It, but then you, you go back to their day, their morning. Okay, they had a fight with their partner because something happened to their like it goes back. So and they're a bit keep, grumpy. <laughs> and they're a bit grumpy. So that reaction in time has put me on mm. like. But then you can go into any situation where that mm. happens, and mm. there's a million factors that make because oh, it's so funny when like you look at something and like how did that happen? And it's like a million different things made that moment happen. Yeah, like, so many different things, yep. and. A lot of good shit, a lot of bad shit, a lot of all that stuff is mixed in. And I think that's why people say now it's like you've got to enjoy the process of anything you do because there's going to be bad things attached to that process and there's going to be really good things. But if you just, oh, if you do, do, you, do your best to work with the, with the goods. The, and it, it took me a while to get my head around it. They said that it's not um, events that determine your happiness, it's your attitude to yeah, the events. how you react to those events. And had a, a neighbour die, his son died recently. He wasn't actually the neighbour's guy that I'd known for a long time. And I'm I'm not religious, but I envied his religion because he, he was, you know, he was happy that his son was with God and mm. that was his attitude to it. And that, that probably what brought home that that's what that meant. It's his attitude to, was it, that that's, yeah. that's what had happened and that worked out and I'd, I'd I can't get my head around. I, I tried to be it's, religious. I, I could not. That's a tricky one, though, especially the whole idea of death because it is such people perceive it as such a negative. But I always say, like with the yin and yang thing, it's like it's got to make some positive. And a lot of time when people pass away, they teach people a lot more when they're not here than when they are. So that's a positive you can look at. It's like okay, they're not here, but and then it does make you change how you are or how you perceive the situation. Like I always talk about how Stevie passing away completely changed how I leave people now forever like i'll never leave someone on a negative bad term for like ever again even when i was fighting with like mum all the time and we're getting absolute yelling matches and just be so angry so angry so pissed off and before i leave every time i'd give her a hug and say i love you and leave yeah i'm, I'm yeah. not going yeah. down that road again yeah. and yeah. like him 
Yeah, and him passing away made me realize that, and that's something that he's always going to be teaching me. And obviously, that people that have passed away can teach other people like that. It's, it's, it's a fucking, it's a, not a fun lesson, but it's a I've, lesson I've, on the same. I've lost um, in the last three years. I've lost uh, four good friends, and one of them um, just old age and and got. But the other two were within sort of ten years of my age, you know, the early sixties, and and both of them were important to me you know, as, as business partners, and it's probably changed my attitude to fitness to a fair degree. You know, I was going, God, this this is over pretty quick, and I'd like some more of it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I might still well, drop dead. Thing I might still drop dead at sixty anyway. Be, you know, who knows? But, um, but you're still healthy now. That's the thing. You know, like you're doing it to. Prolong when it would happen, but you also just feel better I, while you're doing I, I, I it. I guess. I guess it's like you say about, um, you know, make yourself a better person. Do be smarter about what you do. You look at the outlook and go, okay, well, that, there's no guarantee, but you're going to put the odds in your favour, and that's all you can do. Mm. That's all you can do. You can just yeah, go, stack them against. Yeah, you, don't stack them against give yourself. Give yourself the best chance because if you're doing, you know, I've, I've got genetic issues that make me prone to um, a stroke. Mm. And <laughs> don't double down on it. You know? Yeah, you're gonna play Russian roulette. Have one bullet. Yeah, not, don't. Not yeah, just take them out. Take them out of the gun. <laughs> you yeah, don't stick another three in alongside the one you've already got. Mm. It's funny now because I've, like I said, becoming a good athlete's just probably made me a better person. And that's the thing now. Like I, I get paid to train, which is amazing. But it showed me the fact that you should probably just do that anyway. Like I always say now, even with everything I do, I'm training for life. Yeah, and that's even when I ran that race, it was just like I don't have to do that, but it's going to make me stronger as a person, not just for a, a running race or a bike race. It just makes you a stronger person, more determined, more willing, more more, I guess, to push forward. And then um, I was just going to say with the the rowing thing because we do the rowing. Every when I go up on the rower now, every morning it's kind of like this. Every morning or night, every day for twenty minutes, and as I'm on it. I'm getting this headspace where I'll just be like rowing and I'll pretend like I'm actually rowing like up a river and I'm just feel like I'm rowing up this river to like this better life. And it's like, it's sunny as the, and there's all this shit going on in the banks where people are just arguing and fighting and just bitching and just this neck, just negative <laughs> shit. And I'm just paddling up this river and it's like the further I get up, the sunnier it is, the more the birds are chirping and all that. And that's what it is. It's like, it's, Every morning when I do that, it's like that little battle that I win in the morning where I'm like, I'm just going, I'm doing this to have a better life. And it's a thing, 20 minutes a day. And I, like it will make, like obviously for my job, it makes me a hell of a lot fitter, but it's not just the fitness place. It's just the mindset as well. And just the thing of like- Almost beat, like a meditation where you're doing yeah, it. And beat it every day. Cause it's one of those things like we're doing the cold showers as well. Like you, the only person you're battling with is yourself. And if you can win that little battle in the morning, it's like getting up early. Like I set my alarm for 4.45. Cause I know when I work off a 4.45 wake up, I just work better. I don't know why I get up and I just go. Mm. And- as soon as I get up at that time and then if you have a cold shower or something, you've just won these battles because you've got that little internal thing inside you that's just like, oh, but it's early. Oh, but it's cold and all this shit. It's like, just do it. And then once you start doing that with everything, it's just like, oh, do I start up this business? Oh, do I do this? And you and you beat yourself because you've got this bitch self in you which just is complains and wins. Like we've all got it. <laughs> and even though you get better at doing things, it's always still in there. But the thing is, once you become better at it, the person that shuts that person down and just goes, no, we're doing it, that voice just gets quieter and quieter and then it just kind of starts flowing better. I um, 
had uh, like a, a chronic back problem from about 2010 or 11. It just absolutely, you know, knocked me on my backside. I, I was probably about uh, 96, 97 kilos. Might have probably got a bit heavier than that and didn't want to look at the scales at that point. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you think, yeah, oh, yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah, I'm not that overweight and sort of given up on me back. And I um, I started doing the rowing thing and I, and I actually started fasting and struggled like hell to get down to 90 kilos. And once I hit that, weight started falling off, like got into this thing where I was in a zone where I was you know, just burning more calories than what I was eating. And this, you know, this back problem, like I'd, you know, a lot of days I could do four or five hours and losing that weight helped with it. And it's just such a great thing to have that extra bloody energy, you know, not because you, you know, the back pain thing was you, any of these bloody painkiller tablets that you get on, there's all sorts of downsides with them. And I'd, yeah. I try and stay away. And then you start, you know, I've the slippery slope. Yeah. Very slippery slope. And you, and you give up and you lose your mobility because of it. And then that just, yeah, like you mm. say, it's a slippery slope. And you, you go, oh, I can't. Just, just do it. You can. You don't want, and it all comes back to want. How bad do you want it? Mm. You, you, want, you want the quick fix painkillers that are really going to fuck you up more. I, I kind of like a lot of the things that I, I get to do. I like flying. I like riding push bikes. I like riding motorbikes. I like traveling. And I want another buddy. I want another forty years of it. You know, look where where my father is, mm. and you know he's riding around India at what was he seventy seven, seventy eight on a motorbike. You know, having a ball. And I'm thinking that's it's achievable. Most people at that age, well, a lot of my friends aren't alive. Yeah, shows you where. Oh well, yeah, I, I want I want some more of that. Yeah, no, it's a, it's one of those things. <laughs> like I said, once you start doing it, it, it I always say this because it does get easier and it doesn't. It's still hard, but you just get better at doing it. Yeah, and the, that the, makes the, it. There's, there's there's always another reason. There's another ache or pain or whatever it is, and mm. it's just. It, I was going to say when you were even with your dad now, do you? Because I've said this, I said this on Gypsy Tales podcast, and I've said it a lot. There's a there's a saying called. Um, show me the great a great man that's the son of a great man, and I think in that regard, it's just like you look at someone that's very successful and very like if you see a successful person that has a kid, they normally kind of get silver spoon put up their ass, and to a certain extent, they just they're in their shadow. There's, there's a cliche: the first generation make it, the second generation consolidate, and the third one blow it. Yeah, and it it, it, it you see it all the time, like you see it a lot, and I think. I probably because obviously you don't know how to be a parent until you are a parent, <laughs> so you don't really get any. But that's one of the things I kind of always saw. Like I guess you taught us the value in money and working hard, and I always I guess I have a bit of a chip on my shoulder in a sense that almost I wanted to do something that no matter how successful your parents are in anything, if you want to become an athlete, there's no one out there besides yourself, and even in an individual sport. So I guess I was thinking about the other day that might be a bit of a reason because it was like I guess. Even when we were growing up, because obviously we went to Wurji Primary School and if you had a helicopter and stuff, you'd cop a bit of shit from people and uh, kind of silver spoon up your ass and all this. And I guess I got a bit of a chip on my shoulder for that because you weren't like that either. You made us go mow lawns and wash cars and 
work for what you wanted to get. And you never pushed us into anything either. And I thought that was something that was it's like I, I see the value in it so much, especially seeing parents now that are very pushy and have a bit more money and their kids. It's just you push them out of the sport. Yeah, and it's you, sad you to see. You share it to them. It becomes a job before it's... Oh, I remember you always said to us, it's like, I don't care what you do as long as you do something. You're not being lazy. You're not doing f- nothing, but you've got to be doing something. And it's, it's yeah, lots of cliches being talked about. They say, don't give... <laughs> what, how does it go? Give your children enough to do anything, but not enough to do nothing. Mm. And it's, yeah, it's good advice. Mm. It's, it's just, and I, I think I, it was I, a battle with you and mum because mum was more of the giving one in a way and it's that kind of whole yin and yang is like I look back now and she was spoiled us a bit much and at the time you think it's the best thing ever but in the long run <laughs> it can do more damage than, than good you can yeah. over, over care for yeah. sure or yeah. Over, over, yeah. yeah. And, and look it, it, it probably ended up being a pretty good balance yeah she'd say here was it you can be the other side of the world and the boys will tell you to do something that happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's because they, they know I'm going to come home one day and yeah. I won't forget. Yeah. It won't be, yeah, okay, we just let that one go. I, I, I suppose that's a bit about discipline and that was my part of the equation. I think it was probably a good one because of that. You know, you'd, um, you know, some, besides you, my mum you, broke you, the wooden spoon yeah. on Jake's ass. <laughs> Then she she had discipline now and again. She didn't pull it off as well. <laughs> and then probably spoiled your worst for the next two months oh. because she felt bad about it. Oh, it's so funny looking back at that now. And like she was very loving and caring, and not like the, but she like she was too like she gave us so much. And that was like you try and say how do you yeah how you like the the struggle to get something will make you want it even more. If you don't get the struggle, you just get everything. That's why you see so many spoiled kids that just get everything. They don't understand the struggle. Like the struggle is what builds you. The struggle is what make you understand what that's worth and gives you an idea. Yeah, of, yeah, of perspective of that thing. My um, I've got, I've got a couple of sayings, but my one of my favourites is the second you give something away, it's automatically worth nothing. That's a fairly cynical thing to say, but. You know, I went out in the Pacific Islands and you'd see all these um, NGO companies that'd come and give them tractors and loaders and utes and things, and they'd be three or four years old and they'd be wrecked. Yeah. They'd just be destroyed. They'd, t- they'd drive them on flat tyres. Yeah. And they didn't have to work for it. They didn't care. They don't understand the value of it, yeah. It's just oh, it's got given to us, so it's worth nothing, and they treat it like it's, it's – and it actually doesn't really belong to them either. Yeah. And, yeah, it's cynical, but it, it – it's so true. Yeah, you know, mm. I could take you out there and show you a, a million. Because um, I, th- I think, I think back to just say when I said I wanted to race downhill, and you just went out and brought me a downhill bike. Whether because I had to go mow grandma's lawn, Janet's lawn, <laughs> I had to cut wood. Like I think of all that, but I got to go through that struggle of like I've, I've but that that showed me how bad I want it because then when I was I got it. You don't just attach this as a bike. Like, no, this is weeks of chopping wood. This is weeks of mowing lawns. This is saving all my money. This is not buying things that I want to buy so I can get this thing. And then you get it. And that thing's like fucking rocket shit, really. Like, that's the, the bee's knees. But if you see so many kids, they'll get toys like that. And they go, uh, don't need to play with it. Because next thing, what, what else? Next thing, what else? And they don't have any, they don't have understanding of that struggle and that's the thing you've got to have one without the you're not going to get the happiness out of getting that bike and they no. said the struggle of earning it yeah. yeah and that was yeah i look like again like the whole butterfly effect like <laughs> you making that decision to be like you've got to do this you've got to work hard if you want it 
and that builds the the mentality of working hard so then when you do get the bike oh let's start riding it oh let's get better oh you've got to work at it it's just it builds that work ethic in you and i just thought that was something i thought was pretty cool that you did that with it like you can't i don't know i feel like not that i hate blowing my own horn but i feel like i'm being pretty successful in my sport my division whatever you want to call it and i feel that was cool that i feel like with you and your business and everything like that was something that you were really good at so it was just like whenever i heard that quote show me the great man i'm just like Again, not to blow my horn and say I'm a great man, but I just reckon it's pretty cool that you've you've facilitated that to happen. We've all done, we've both done well in our field. You know, I, I guess mine is is invention, or you know, and, I, and I actually feel like I'm going to have another crack at that too. I, I, I kind of, yeah, because of what gone through recently, it's sort of like, you know, do, do I just want to retire? <laughs> Um, wait around look yeah I, I think look and you go oh, I can travel the world but I, I think the problem with for me with that is you get up and you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning you go what am I mm. a tourist you know? your mind needs to be working towards something that isn't just like going around the world cool but if you don't have something that pulls you out of bed to go hey how can we fix this or how do we solve this and like again you need that thing to be pulling you towards the goal the thing yeah. if you don't have yeah. that yeah. You, again, you're just passing the time. Do you want to talk about the new thing? Are we going to wait? Wait. I think we have this one in a little while. We'll wait, we'll wait yeah, a bit. Yeah, yeah. But that was cool. Even when I saw like your brain start ticking over about wanting to start to build it, I was like, I think I seen that message, and I was like, okay, because it's just like a, I guess probably me, Jake, and Mum are probably going to be the ones that recognise traits out of you the most, and it's just like you see someone start spark yeah yeah you see a spark of like, okay this this makes sense and even when you're explaining how we, we would all could all be involved in in some way or push in something it's just like oh that makes sense yeah and yeah, even look, the, I, I remember like the first year that you got a proper um sponsorship you know you were paid to do something and mm. it kind of soured you to it a bit it took you a while <laughs> to get your head around i it. hated it was, it. It was, I was obvious i know you did you, you, you go look I, you know, I don't have to work and i don't have to ride you know I'm getting paid to do this, and now it's a now it's a job. Yeah, um, the 2016 was the worst racing year of my entire career, and it was my first, first year, year being getting a, paid. Yeah. Being paid, yeah. And it's a trip to say it for anyone listening, but if that doesn't show the grass has always looks green on the other side, but it's just for me, it was just like I feel like I'd kind of achieved the goal, and I think the whole thing about repetition kind of came into it as well, and then just the fact that. I felt like a lot of this, like I remember when I was working for you, you'd say, I'll give you the last hour off and you got to go ride. And that's made riding seem like that's this, that's the, that's, that's the dessert. That's the thing. I yeah. Made. Yeah. Okay. There's a, yeah. You don't have to stay here. And well, and well cause I think like I, I enjoyed the, like, I learned how to weld, but it's not something I was super passionate about, I guess. So once well, you, so see, you build the tables here and it's, 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 it's a useful thing. Oh, I'm happy. I, I learned it for sure. And mm. I'm like, I want to build more furniture and definitely be more involved with it. So I, yeah. Hundred percent keen keen to keep I, using it, but it was just the. I think I think any sort of trade is just building things. I think is um, very beneficial to have. Yeah, yeah, it's probably probably yeah, exercise and building whatever it is that you're making. You know, mm. but um, I don't regret that at all either because I remember when I'd go to TAFE, and then <laughs> I'd be going to TAFE, and I'd just be. Oh, I remember for some reason TAFE was like it. Honestly, still probably the worst weeks of my life just because i remember being in there and it was just i don't know why it was so bad i was just in this, like obviously welding in a 40 degree factory and just just doing the most boring bright brain numbing work like just the simple like just literally just watching paint dry pretty much and i remember being in there and i was like 
I better make this mountain biking thing work. Because I, I, it was <laughs> this that. Is, this isn't what I want to be doing. Is, yeah, in 20 was, years. But that was the thing. Yeah. I needed that driving factor yeah. to be like, I don't want to be in this workshop welding or work, workshop. Like, I like this. I, I like that I learned the skill. But I remember I'd leave TAFE every day and I'm like, I'm going to go ride my bike. Or like, it pushed me to like, because option in that point, I was like, even though I look at it now, I was like, there's plenty of other things I could have done. It wasn't like if I didn't make mountain biking, I'd be a welder. But in my head at that point, that was like, that was the other kind of option. Mm-hmm. It was like option A, option B. And option B terrified me. Yeah. It terrified me enough to wake me up and make me put enough work in to make option A work. And that's the whole thing. It's just like, you don't want option B. <laughs> like if you get comfortable with option B, you start taking away from, if I was just like, oh, being a welder is not that bad. And oh yeah, I'll train a little bit. Probably be a welder right now. Like realistically, but I had like that burn the boats, like option B, like just <laughs> burn them. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it yeah, was don't leave anything on the table. Nah, and yeah. I, I, I can remember the um, well, you you crashed in Italy and smashed your hand, and we both knew it was broken. And <laughs> Mum wanted to take you to the doctors, and we go and we. That what's, was what's the point? What's that date? That was what was that? Twenty twelve, Valdesol. Yeah, that was day one. Following Connor Fear and and Connor's. What does he say? It's a bag. <laughs> it's death, and you need a bag of dicks or something. Yeah, like, yeah you remember Con- what I, I said? Do you? I don't know. Connor and Valdesol get along very well. <laughs> no, you just said you said this hill is death. This mountain's death, and you're going to need a bag of dicks. And you know showed me a wrist, and I said you'd have to eat all of them. In the yeah. First day. <laughs> You know what I thought was cool about that? I think that, I guess, in a way showed my resilience in the fact that that was my first World Cup ever, Valdesol 2012. Crashed first day of practice, first World Cup, broken wrist, out. One year later, I go back there as a junior and win and yeah. would have been, I think, I think I would have placed like 20th in a lead or something. Had like a top 10 split at the first split. And I was, and I just, I look at those polar opposites and like yep. such a contrast. <laughs> do, do you remember what you said to me at, uh, at Fort William when you come down. Like, what were you, 82nd or 3rd? 84th. 84th. And missed out by four spots, yeah. And, 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 and my wrist was – because we, we didn't know my wrist was broken, actually. We did. <laughs> I looked at you and we knew we knew. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we pretended like we didn't know. But, <laughs> <We don't. laughs> yeah, I look back at that. And you know when you look here back at stuff and you go, how did I do that? Because I look at that now and it's like one week later after breaking my wrist and then almost qualified at the longest, roughest track of the year. It's about – Eight or ten days or something. It was about eight days. One was it was a Thursday or something. You broke it. Yeah, Thursday. It was a it was a week because it was a World Cup a week back to back. So, but I look at that now. It's just funny. I guess it comes back to the want. It's like we're overseas. We're doing it. I remember watching the because there was a heap of locals that had no seating position. It looked like you were going to qualify for a race run. All the yeah, it was all the British the, guys at the end. At the very tail end that had been riding there for the last every weekend yeah, for the last if Brit- 10 years. If you're British or Scottish and in Fort William, you're probably going to get in. Yeah. And yeah, every time one had come down, and there was only about the last four across the line that pushed you off the back of it. Mm. It was like... Yeah, that was yeah, that was dark. I was... Do you remember what you said to me? I can't remember, no. You said, I'd left a bit on the table. I won't make that mistake again. True. That's what you said. And then it was another two weeks later in Canada. And I qualified there. 55 or something. 55th, yeah, I think. And I was like, yeah. And, and the guy from 
one of the, the suspension guy pulled all the gear that we'd paid thousands of dollars and threw it in the bin. Remember, he just rebuilt your bike. Evan Warner, maybe. It sounds right. He just oh, said, Todd, "Who's your sponsor?" Yeah, I think it's those two guys because like yeah. you've been giving them wine afterwards, and just they said, "Who's your sponsor?" And like, mum and dad. <laughs> yeah, and they went, "Come with me." Yeah, no, they were really good. Yeah, that was a, that was they. A, they looked after me a lot. Yeah. I think I just gave them the time of day. Like it was funny. I'd always go there, and they're just cool people to hang out with. So I'd always just chat them when they're working on forks and stuff, and I got to know them really well. And it was funny because I'd be in the tent and then people would just come along and be like, can you service my forks? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like they're paid to do it, so they're yeah. going to do it. Yeah. But when people just throw in forks, rude as anything, just yeah. just expecting it, it comes back to that thing just because you're getting paid to do something. You feel like you have this – like just because they have to do it doesn't mean you have to treat them like shit. And I was there and it wasn't even like people were being shit, but they were just quite rude. Yeah. And I just, was just, I, just spent, I just spent time there with them. Just because they were cool guys and they were helping me out and I brought them beer or whatever. And then the the year after in 2013, I asked them because I had some good results at the start and I said, can I pit with you guys? And they said, yeah. Mm. And then they kind of, I always joke, it was like me, Lucas Shaw and Walker Shaw and we were like the start of like the SRAM, um, TLD SRAM team kind of thing. And I thought that was cool. It's just literally just from, I guess, obviously if they, they, they liked me enough that they let me hang out with them. But that start, like that was my first kind of World Cup proper team and it was yeah, it worked out so well. Mm. That's the thing. It's just like, yeah, if you just give <laughs> give give someone a bit more time, especially when they've like they deserve to have it as well. So, I, I think you're the only junior qualified for that race, were you? No, no, no. A couple of us. No, when was this? Uh, In Canada. No, I was oh. I was fourth. I think. Oh, okay. Con- Connor was. It was like Connor Richie. Yeah, Roo, yeah, yeah. Connie, that Connor was Richard. Yeah, Richie and Roo. the second year, you you didn't. Um, Second year, there was a junior category. Yeah, you raced regardless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had some fast guys in our our year. I look back at our year, we had like Laura's Vergier, um, Taylor Vernon was really quick, Mark Wallace, myself, Phil Atwell, Richie Rude. Mm. I think Luke was just ahead of us. Um, Lucas Shaw. There's a lot of <laughs> mm. a lot of heavy hitters that are still in it now. Yeah, but we, it was we, a good crop. Yeah, but. No, I remember that. The year above you too, like there was two years running, like because there was Connor and Troy in that, both in that. Um, oh, Connor, Connor was in mine, but Troy was. Um, he was. Oh, cool. yeah, yeah. He yeah. was one year ahead. Yeah, because yeah. I remember. I think our. What about Jack? He was. Jack was in there as well. He was. Yeah. He was a year ahead. Yeah. But I look yeah. back at. Um, I think it was our 2012 World Champs, like everyone on it. It was like Richie Rude, Loic Bruni. Jack Moyer, Connor Fear, and like Phil Atwell, myself, like I just the the list. I think Amory Pierion was in there, but he was way down. I found some old results, and he wasn't just. Fl- this is another funny. He was floating around like top twenties in juniors. He was nowhere. I saw, he was I he was nowhere that, for a long I saw time. That race back in what was it nineteen when he came off and like last it, man down. His his ra- his race that Leger was <laughs> like like that's I reckon that's up there on the Sam Hill. Oh. Scale. I don't think. I don't think it gets enough credit. I remember watching him out of the start gate. Just yeah, him. Just yeah. him in the first five meters showed me you want this more than anyone else on this hill. And not by a little bit. He looked like he was getting oh, chased by a bloody in the first five meters. Chased by he, demons. Oh. <laughs> he just laid it down here across the top of the hill, and he got dust coming off the thing. <laughs> He's. Oh, I watch. I watch. That gets me motivated because I'm like, that's that's how bad you've got to want it, and that shows you how bad like. I didn't want it as bad as him that day, and I didn't come close to getting it because of that. So it's like I, I remember the first time you raced back in 
Victoria after being to a World Cup and, you know, talk about how that would pan out. Like we did it on like a, a bit of a shoestring budget. I think what you went, went and did four out of a six or whatever. And yeah, we, we did. Yeah, two in Europe and then uh, Montsaint-Anne, Wyndham, and yeah. I did world champs. I did five that year, but yeah, four World Cups. One and that was, uh, that was South Africa was champs, was it? No, nah, nah, that was the year after. That was 13. Leo Gang was 12. And then thirteen. Oh, did you do that with it? I, I did. You guys, you guys, fam, we did the family holiday in twelve. Yeah, yeah. So you, me, Jake, mum, yeah, and you guys helped us out. We cruised around and got a bit of experience. Then got twelfth at Worlds, and then didn't really get. I had. I got. That's when Paul Rowney started helping me out. Where, where was where was the Worlds in that year? In twelve. Yeah. Leo Gang Austria. Yes. Yep. 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 But yeah, then. Um, so yeah, we went over as a family and then the year after, um, that's when I went kind of with the Vanzacs, became a bit of a gypsy and then the Shreem yeah. guys looked after me yeah. and took me under their wing. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> it doesn't feel like that long ago. Well, it isn't that long ago, really. It's funny now I look at... Um, it's only 10 years, isn't it? Next year's... I look at, um, like I'm about to go over with Ol now. I'm just like thinking kind of back to my first trip to Europe and I'm just like... It, it'll make a difference to him as just... Getting back to where yeah you know, the first time you come back and rode in Victoria and I was watching the guys that you know they, they were you were beating them but by tents you know? yeah and there's one section there there's only a little short straight and they'd come through and they'd just coast you know they'd come out of the corner and you'd be punching three or four pedal strokes in it and it's, yeah it's there's levels to it you start to yeah you get put in a <laughs> riders that have been to a World Cup ride different they don't look the same. Ever again, like if they come back, or if I guess if they well, come away shows, from it, going they're too fast, I'm never going to beat them. You just come back and ride like you did. But if you go, I got to be as quick as these guys. You never look the same again. Mm. And you know, both Troy and Connor were like that. You know, they rode different. And that's competition. Competition's that high. It's a sink or swim mentality. Mm. And that's what Jack and Connor have always had with each other. And that's why they're both the athletes they are. Mm. But mm. it, there's, there's, yeah, there's definitely levels to it when you see, like, when there is a jump and you go, oh, okay. But I think it's just the whole thing, open yourself up to, like, the new perspective of, like, how quick can we go? Yeah, that, that's, yeah, that sort of thing doesn't happen in a vacuum. It needs people around you to mm. make you work for it. Yeah. Mm. And people, <laughs> yeah, even myself, it's like, <laughs> we're so driven to, like, we just want to win and we just want to, like, be the best. But it's like, nah, you want that, you want that driving factor. You want that. You want someone's going to push it. That's why, like, I wanted to. That's why I invited Jack up to come race this enduro because I'm like, he's going to put it to me. <laughs> yeah, there'd be no free feed there. No, that's the thing. But like, that's going to lift me to push yeah. harder. Like, yeah. I don't want to just go to that enduro and just, like you said, coast. Mm. Like, I don't want to go there. Bring and some proper competition. Bring some competition because that's and, gonna and, make, give the, and give the crowd something to look at too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, get yeah. people keen. But it's just the thing. Like, I think when you're younger and like a fast guy rocks up to a race, you go, oh shit, that guy's here. Fuck, he's probably going to beat me. And then you already start playing those mind games in your head. But if you look at him and go, oh, he's here. I wonder how he's been training. He's been eating good. I bet he's been doing this. And then you're like, I wonder what lines he's doing. Like kind of study him, but don't stress about the fact that he's there. Because mm-hmm. it's all that, like I always tell people, the people that you compete against are your best, like the information you need to be finding. They're, like it's like the whole thing is, is copy someone that's doing something you want to do. Or if you see someone ahead of where you are in any aspect of life, how did they get there? Attach yourself to them if they're willing to do that, or ask Mm. them questions, learn from them. You've literally Mm. got a walking 
<laughs> that that's that's Google right there. But he'll explain it a lot better than Google is. So I'm like, go talk to that person. That's the whole idea of like mentoring so crucial because it's just like... So I, me- I remember with Stevie Smith, you were so disappointed because he missed a lot, you know, when you first went over and probably by the time he came back into it, you were already going well enough that he was seeing you as competition, not as a, as yeah. a, as a grommet. It was a bit of a, a, a letdown in that regard, I suppose. Well, that, again, it's like wonder what the, the outcome of that relationship slash life or anything if he didn't break his ankle at the start of that year in New Zealand and he did come on the team and he did use that momentum of being the World Cup champion in 2013 and then what would I have gotten from that in turn? Yeah, he'd have been going fast enough that you wouldn't have been as much of a threat. Oh, I wouldn't have been near him then. Mm. He came back and obviously you come back from injury, there's going to be a few teething issues. So he dealt with that and then I was kind of finding my feet as well on the team. It was just, yeah, it's just another dynamic you don't know. But if like mm. having a mentor like that, literally the best in the world at the time, at mm. the top of their game, mm. you surround, you put yourself in that. <laughs> if you just put yourself in that around him as a person, you're probably going to better yourself yeah. in some way or be a driving force to better yourself. And he he, ne- he never really got back to full speed, did he? So he never- did he did just before he passed away, yeah, because okay. he he had a really bad um, sixteen. And seventeen, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah, and then it was at Lords. He got second to Gwyn. Okay. Yeah, he came back, got second to Gwyn. They went to Cairns. Um, like, was it seventeen? Seventeen. I think it might have been seventeen. Started seventeen. Yeah, so that was seventeen. He came in swinging, got second at Lords, and then qualified fourth at Cairns, but got a flat tire, and that was the last yeah. race. Yeah. Okay. So he was back. He was on the pace. Yeah. Yeah. He's coming back, but yeah, it's again. It's a weird one how something, yeah, can change the, the course of it all happening. Mm. But no, nah, I was going to ask you again because when we were younger, um, we did do a lot of traveling and I think that unintentionally <laughs> will educate you more than you'll ever know and I think that's something you've... Oh, that was intentional. <laughs> that was no, 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 but like we learned stuff traveling that I wasn't like, I, I didn't think, I didn't even know I needed to know that or like you'll see things or get new perspectives on people, how they live and what they do and everything and like that... To me, it's like people. There's a saying that says the only you waste money on everything besides traveling. And I don't know, like obviously, but to the sense it's just like yeah. Look, I, I, I if you'd said to me, I, look, I guess it's a bit of an oxymoron because if you if you got bloody ten million dollars, you can travel wherever you want anyway. But I, I probably enjoyed the traveling more than the wealth. It's mean meant more to me. That's that's the stuff that'll yeah. Regardless of what happens, if you said, oh look. You can have whatever you've got now financially and not have seen what you've seen. I, w- I wouldn't swap it, not, mm. not a pink fit. I'd, I'd rather be, I'd rather be, have seen and have the memories I've got now and be stone broke than, yeah. than have not done. Yeah, I've got, gone and worked as a boilermaker and say, yeah, yeah, yeah you, you're worth you know, three or four million dollars or whatever, mm. but you've been a boilermaker for the last 40 years. I go, no. Don't, yeah, don't, what have you I'm seen? Not, what have you I'm, felt? What have you done? Would not swap ever mm. but uh I, I think people like like jake's you know he had the option to go and actually film with a crew like the following year you know he got you got offered a job and you had to go and do it the hard way like the, <laughs> you weren't sponsored yeah he got sponsored instantly yeah <laughs> i think it was with polygon i think they were going to pay him to come film more like mixed team and whatnot yeah and, and he, i was like sick sweet <laughs> this worked gone, out well and he's gone no he, yeah, so didn't, didn't want to do it. Yeah, he kind of almost. 
It was a lifestyle. You buy, you're like, you're not getting paid that well. You, you, no, you you're buying no. into the experience. Oh, look, at, at his age, I'd have fallen over in the rush. Mm. I would have. I'd have just gone, yep, I'll do it. The only time um, I, I got an apprentice of the year as a boiler maker and um, <laughs> it was pretty funny. As part of the prize, I had the option to go to Antarctica for six months and some smart ass at work goes, What was first prize? <laughs> like <laughs> three months. <laughs> I, take, I take it you didn't go. Well, I don't know. Did you go? I don't know. No, no, know. no, no, I didn't. I haven't been down to about the only place I haven't. But um, the, the reason I never went was I, I, I wasn't guaranteed that I'd have a, the job. You know, I'd, I'd been made a, a, um, a site foreman. I had a vehicle and I was making. There was actually three reasons I didn't go. I had I had my first girl, long term girlfriend, and I say <laughs> they hold you back. <laughs> polar bears weren't appealing to me. Yeah, um, but the the main reason was that you you got paid about seventy odd thousand dollars at the time, which a lot of money, which was a lot of money. But they it had been a tax haven up until the year I was about to go, and they went from so I was only going to they going to take about fifty percent off it in tax. Mm. And I'm thinking, so I'm going over for thirty five thousand. I was earning about forty where I was working, so it's only maybe ten grand. Mm. And I'm thinking, and I'm coming back and no job. Yeah. If it had been the seventy straight up, because that would have pretty much just bought me a house. I'd have gone over there, no expense, come back. Here's seventy thousand dollars in your pocket. Yeah. You can go and buy a house. You know, that's, yeah. Set yourself up. Yeah. It was a lot of money, but it was a lot of tax too. Because back in those days, I think once you earned above a certain amount, they'd tax you. Oh, it's fifty five cents in a dollar. So you earn a dollar and you get forty five cents, and it's like, uh, yeah, don't want to do that. Yeah, no, do you regret that not going at all? In in, um, in some ways, you just kind of want to see how it would have played out. That's what I don't. I don't, yeah. I don't regret what I've done because I'm very content and happy with where I'm at now yeah, in life. Look, so I, I don't want to change this. But no, no look, you just, you, I just, what happens if we open that door? Where would we be? Yeah, that that's right. Everything's different. Every, yeah. everything's different. So no, no, I wouldn't. I, I'm, I'm, but yeah, I hope when you pass away, you could just watch your life back and, then, and just change those things, or live through and be like. Where does this where does this door take us? And just go down that path, like you've already, and almost like you watch it as yourself that you've lived, but you get to watch it as oh, that'd be. I, I watched a movie just recently. It was at boss level or whatever, and basically it's like you've got all these. Um, well, this guy just wakes up in the morning, and it's all these things he's got to do, and he like replays it, like gets to redo it every time. Yeah, and yeah, it's a Groundhog Day type thing. It's like the same thing all over, but. It's it's worth a watch, and I look at it and go, yeah, be be interesting to go and have a, another crack at it and see where it end up. But um, I'd, yeah, I'd, 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 I doubt I'd be in a better place. I really do. I'd, maybe mm. I would have. Who knows? Yeah, you don't, Who yeah. Knows? It's, it's. I always say to people, if you're happy now, like thing bad things didn't happen. Things just happened. But even, even now, I, I, no, I think the other the other part of that though is if you're not happy now, change it. Change it. Yeah, go and do something that you you know don't. Like people that are miserable, like yeah, why? Don't, don't you like start, job. Why are you miserable? Start working it out. Yeah, find something. That's to the do. thing. Like it's so. It's such a oh, like. You've, you've got to you got to find your thing, and that's not easy for one. But once you like start looking, start start ticking things off. Like you think if you're not if you're not looking for things, if you're not ticking things off, if you're not opening doors, if you're not looking at like 
you are stationary. You are not moving anywhere. And if you find an excuse, you know, people... Oh, they hold on. I know people, they hold on excuses like they're life jackets and they think if they lose, let go, they're going to sink. Oh, I can't, like, I can't do that. We can't afford that. We, you know, it's... What you, you say to me? Change I can't with I don't have the time or, 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 or it's, it's not, not a priority. A, it's not a priority, yeah. And that's exactly what you're look, look, Yeah, you know, I'd worked for that first boiler making company that I did for about seven years, and it would have been it's yeah, and yeah, I, I, I nearly worked myself into a what I thought was a comfortable job, you know, like. I was, making reasonable money and had a vehicle and all the rest of it. And the best thing that ever happened was they went broke. And <laughs> yeah. I looked at it and went, I, the funny thing about it, I saw what was coming or what they'd done wrong. And I'm thinking, why am I working for them? Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what the biggest killer of dreams is? The salary. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I got married and quit my job the same month. And I decided if I could feed myself, I'd never work for wages again. Mm. And I mean, yeah, I mean, if, if I can, literally, never gonna, never gonna have another boss. Yeah, not doing it. Not ever. Not ever. Just doesn't matter. Just. But then once you make that call, and then you, that's when you start. Okay, and that's when the lights start coming on. What can we do then? That bit gets back to cutting firewood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and building the grabber, and, and that's what I mean. But that 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 moment, that point in time when you made that decision. That hey, I'm not doing it. Yeah, you have to go through some shit that probably wouldn't, from the outside, look that enjoyable. You have to do some look all all that stuff. And I, you know, go back to you know, Warren and I were doing field days and sleeping in creek beds. You know, <laughs> pretty yeah. pretty rugged stuff in toilet blocks. God knows what. Yeah, you know, again, it comes back to the struggle you had to go through to make that thing become a reality. Yeah, for me, it wasn't that bad. It's um. Yeah, I don't look back at those. Go, oh, that was miserable. Yeah. You enjoyed I, the process as you went through it. Yeah, look, I, I think back to some of the days where I went in on wages and I was welding up beams <laughs> in a, and that was misery. That yeah. was that was yeah. yeah. I remember welding and I, 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 I could head chill on it's dripping off a sweat dripping off my nose. There's a drop a second just yeah, and drink ten liters of water just a day. Keep pouring and, out. Yeah, and and that I'm thinking, yeah, I got nothing from that. Mm. I got nothing. I look at that like I've done. I even working for you, like not saying it was bad or anything, but like just just welding or grinding or whatever. And I would trade that instead to go up climb Buffalo three times or four times and absolutely like literally pretty much kill yourself physically. Like I'd rather go run that. I'd rather go run that stampede thing (laughs) every day for a week than go to TAFE for a week. (laughs) Hundred. I mean, that's no no word of a lie. I would rather do that. And physically put myself through that, and mentally, then go sit in a classroom. It's a funny thing. I, I when I did um, my TAFE, I, I, like the the first few years were pretty boring. It was just repetitive stuff. But the last year I did, you could um, do what was called a DLI ticket, which is Department of Labor, and if you um, got your DLI ticket, you could basically go onto job sites and do pressure vessel welding. Our Two thousand of us went to Geelong East Tech, and I think there was two of us passed the the practical, and two of us passed the theory. And I, I was the only one that did both, and and got me got me DLI ticket, and that was why I got tripped to um, Antarctica or a couple of other bits and pieces that I you know, won some medals and things that they gave me for it too. But um, 
I, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get my DLI ticket. You know, Warren had said to me, oh, it's nearly impossible to get when he'd done it. And some years nobody mm. got their DLI ticket. That Probably just, just made you want to do it more. It, it became a yeah, – it became a – yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, the whole you can't do it. Watch, yeah. Watch this. Uh, well, you know, I, and I um, – there was one thing where, you know, you talk about training. Well, you know, I went and brought um, – brand new packets of electrodes because if electrodes sit around they get wet they get porosity in them and you get one porosity bubble and you fail yeah it goes and gets x-rayed and test you know stress tested and if you you know if it's a bit wet and you get uh, hydrogen porosity you failed the exam it's you you haven't failed you you get your welder's ticket but you don't get your dli ticket yeah so i'd go in with a brand new box of electrodes you know Mm. sealed in the thing pull it out you know I actually got work to buy them for me and I'd take them down there. I'd take my own angle grinder so I'm not waiting in line for the... Well, it's a stack the odds. Don't stack them oh, against a, you. Absolutely. What, what you do when you're training, that's what I did. You know, I'd, mm. I'd have brand new lenses in me, in me um, head shield, you know, just spanking mm. to do the test. That's it. And well, it's just looking at the whole thing, how can we make this better? But that's like I said, being a good welder or being a good athlete, you should just use those skills in life. Like how do I be? How do I be a better dad? Or how do I be a better a cook? Or how do I well, be this, just this, like this, with everything? That, that for me, it wasn't that wasn't Plan B. That was this is what I've got to do. I didn't have Plan A anymore. I failed that. You know, mm. so this is what I'm going to do. Everything's got to go into it. Yeah, and and I, I, I probably had some idea of of getting ahead. You know, to to be successful enough to to buy a helicopter or probably buying an aeroplane would have been great. But mm. I never thought I could afford a helicopter. I didn't think that was ever going to be a thing. I'd, I remember going for a fly in a, um, a, a Bell 47 and it was $100,000. And I brought my first house was $100,000 and I think I'd put $30,000 up and were paying about those interest rates. Off 70% the, or something. Oh, brutal. And, you know, both Kate and I were working, making about 1000 bucks a week and by the time she paid tax, she ended up with 700 and that was going on, on house payments. Yeah. Yeah, go on. And not even making much dent in the in the um, in the principal. It was just most of that, like five hundred a week or whatever it was, just gone. It was pretty pretty rude. But it wouldn't have been quite that much. Was uh, five hundred a week? What's that work out? It's about twenty five grand. But that's about what we were putting in, and it was you know probably. And when did you start to think? Like obviously, when all the mill picked up and everything, and then all started to go, he's like. You're just like, okay, this is... Oh, we knew we knew as soon as we had those 50 deposits. We it's knew gone. straight off. We, because we... Um, yeah, I'd worked out we were going to make about... Um, we, we actually went in with an introductory price and I thought that was going to make us about $2,000 a machine. So 50-odd sawmills was going to be about... Uh, straight up, it was 100 grand a year profit on top of our wages. Yeah. So, yeah, between the three of us... It would have been okay, would have, but when we started doing numbers, our costs absolutely collapsed. Yeah, you know, we went from paying. Yeah, because you bought would have. We were buying container loads of, of engines. Yeah, we, those those little motors. We started out paying about eight or nine hundred bucks for them. Yeah, and I think we we're paying about three hundred and sixty dollars for motors. Yeah, you know, it just. Yeah, and and blades. We we ended up. Um, and we dropped the prices too to make ourselves even more competitive. Like we originally, we were, I think we were, we selling the blades for four hundred dollars, 
and we were buying them for 250 well we ended up selling them for 250 we were only paying 100 bucks you know yeah, we'd start out paying them. 300 and selling them for four and yeah price so, comes out yeah but you make yeah and everybody thinks we're we're cutting our own throats and <laughs> did you um, did you have a moment like up at probably lucas mill when you kind of did you ever have a moment to kind of stop and kind of think about where it all had come from and where where it had started because i've been trying to do that more now i try and really stop and appreciate moments and was there a moment where you're up there when you probably have how many employees would you have had and how many i think i think it was peaked at about 50 employees um was it just like a kind of sense of oh shit it worked (laughs) like it 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 paid off because i've I've had those moments sometimes sometimes i still pinch myself and i'll be at the top of a world cup and i'm about to drop in and there's all these cowbells and sirens, and I just really appreciate the fact where, where that, you are and what's going on. Yeah, like you you did it, kind of thing. You made it, you made it happen. And I think people need to stop a lot more and appreciate those moments because I try and do that all the time. Like honestly, like weekly now, and just really stop and just be like, okay, it's this a, this is real. <laughs> yeah, well, it's all a fairly long time ago, but one of the things that struck me was you know I talked about you know, going and having a seventy thousand dollar loan on my house and thinking that's 25 years. Well, when we started taking those deposits, um, we got the bank balance sheet. Like we, we did the first field day in March 94 and at the end of the financial year, at the, the 30th of June or whatever it was, we got a bank statement and we had $147,000 in the bank cash. That's like, Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How did that happen? How did that happen? Because you know, I, th- I think we delivered about six weeks to deliver the first one, but then we had deposits for even more. You know, we had 50000 in deposits, but by then we probably sold seventy or eighty. so there's $80,000 in deposits. And then we're starting getting paid for machines. Mm. And at nine grand a pop, it was... Yeah, things were moving. Yeah, it came, it came in pretty quick. Mm. And that was when you went, you know... <laughs> I feel like that's how it goes. It's almost like nothing, nothing, nothing. Because this is, we talk about um, you work for 10 years and then you're an overnight success. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Like that's, that's yeah, we, yeah, 10 years work to become an overnight success is a real, real. And people are going, oh, yeah, it's, oh you're lucky. <laughs> oh, the lucky thing. <laughs> the lucky things are killed. Oh, I can't, oh, I can't deal with it. It's even when, like I was saying now, when um, I had a massive crash the other day and everyone's reaction, oh, you're lucky. I'm just like, oh, like, <laughs> I'm like, I, I, like, luck is a weird one because I'm lucky in the sense that maybe, like, I, but, okay, so I'm, I'm training, I'm stretching, my body's meant for crashing in the sense that everything's tight and secure, and I've got armor on, and I know how to roll because I've done it for so long, and I've had all these precautions, and like, there's so much things that go into that go into it, and yeah. like, l- luck is involved, certain little bits and pieces. I will luck does show its hand now and again but on the grand yeah. scheme of things you you create all that luck for yourself in a way so it's, it's like it's yeah it's 90 percent preparation like we said 99 percent one percent yeah luck. don't stake the odds against you yeah that's the thing and yeah. if you can make like you said you're into that welding exam and you made everything that little bit better then it's more likely to work out oh i was yeah, i was 90 percent of the way there before i even came in you know and to the just little tricks that i'd learned like one of the things you had to do was get penetration full way up and if you didn't get it you had to cut the whole thing in half and start again and you're on the clock mm. now because i had my own grinder there and I'd, I'd just actually put the grinder in from the back of it i just missed out on a tiny little bit of penetration and I, 
I don't know whether you call it cheating, probably was. I just put the grinder in it, I saw it glowing red, mm. had a blunt chisel, give it a tap, that's penetration, and put the next weld in and done, finished. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect penetration. But it's like the whole thing is like you say, <laughs> you know when someone told me, oh, I, thought, I think it's funny, you know what comes after cheating? <laughs> Winning. <laughs> Winning. <laughs> but in that sense, if you're using your brain and you're making it, you're, you're ticking the boxes, you're passing the yeah, test. It's, it's, really? it's what's been smart and what's cheating. Yeah, 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 yeah what's yeah. been smart and what's cheating is a big one, but... Yeah. No, that's cool. Yeah, we, we, I know. Yeah, you know, when you were racing your bike and you had this thing where you, you know, you were running tubeless valves and tubes as well, and yeah, you know, that's proper preparation. And you know, you, you pinch a tube and it still doesn't go flat because the tyres glued to the rim. Yeah, you know, that's the kind of thing yeah, you're doing. That's not that, cheating. That's no, just that's just covering proper, your ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Belt and braces and be prepared for the worst. And, yeah, mm. I was going to ask you as well. Do you find it funny? Because I always I found this really funny because I've I'm completely outside of the mechanical minded brain, and I thought it was funny because obviously you've got it, Warren's got it, Pa's got it, Jake's got it, and me and Jake always had this thing where I would feel like a bit of I guess the black sheep in the sense of all this because I didn't fit in with I guess the norm or what the family direction was, and yep. then he'd always feel like a bit of a black sheep because I guess I got all this praise and. <laughs> Stuff for being such a good rider, but it was funny. It's just like the we were envious of each other for being good at things that we, you, we want, were, you want. You want what you haven't got. What you haven't got. But I thought it was always funny because it's just like I, I, I guess at a younger age as well. I thought it was quite weird how, I guess your brain, Pa's brain, Jake's brain, worked in that sense, and you're very mechanically minded cars, bikes, and everything. And I just. I remember even for a little bit, I was like trying to get in it. I was like, I just don't care for it. Like I really, I really don't. It's not your passion. That's the thing that Jake talks about cars and bikes. And I'm like, I kind of like want to know a bit, but I just don't care either. You can't make yourself want to do that. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, yeah. I I remember when you finished um, year um, 11 and grandma's pushing for you to do it. Yeah. Jake did his HSC. He wasn't planning to do anything else. And I just said, um, that's not what he's good at. You play mm. to your you play to your strengths. Mm. You, know, you you don't play to <laughs> you know, best hand co- eye coordination going. You don't want to be a lawyer. Yeah, you don't want to be a mechanic. That's not what it's about. And it just yeah, work out what you're good at, what mm. you enjoy, and do that. Yeah, and and, and to do to you know whether whether it's somebody trying to get the yeah, I reckon a lot of parents. Um, Try and live their dreams through their kids, and it's it's sad when you see that, that as that's, well. That's a mess. That's that's not something I want to be part of. Because most of the times when they're putting all this pressure and yeah. and and I guess I wouldn't say not anger, but just disappointment, frustration into their kids, it's just reflection of how they put it up. Like because they will just make them do stuff that they should have done. I should have trained harder. I should have done this. I should eat better. So now they force, live, they, force you to do it. They live through their children, and like I always say to parents, I'm like it's. They need to be pulled into it. Like you got pulled into inventing, I got pulled into racing. Mm. But if you're pushing your kids into it, it's so easy to push them out of it. You've got this small window. And like you said, it's like you just need to not even push them, support them into that window. But as soon as you start pushing, it's so easy. I always, um, I've got this image in my head of like, imagine there's like a kid on a slide and he's about to like, there's like obviously a heap of slides and he picks one. He's like, oh, this one looks pretty fun. Anyway, probably wants a bit of a push to get going and he's going to start picking up momentum down that slide and if he wants to get off it, he'll get off it. But if there's a parent holding on to him that keeps pushing him down, he's going to be like, okay, you can let go now. You can let go now. I don't want to be on this ride anymore and that parent's just still pushing. Do you think he's going to want to be on that slide? 
Let him get off when he wants to get off, or let him stay on if he wants to stay on. But don't don't just hold on to him and just keep trying to push him down this thing that he. And it's you see you see it all the time when they get to a certain age and they they can make their own decisions, not living under their roof. They've turned eighteen, and they just and they and they don't do it. And it's sad when they are very skilled and very good at something, but they they don't really want to do it. And they shouldn't have to do it. No, like if you don't no. if you don't uh, enjoy it. I actually think a little bit too sometimes if it's handed to them on a plate, like you say, and they haven't worked. That's for what them. I mean. They don't. They don't appreciate it. That like mm. water tastes a lot better when you're thirsty. <laughs> Yeah, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're in an ocean, it probably doesn't. You drown, and yeah, that's what I'm saying. People would get drowned in in possessions, get drowned in in support. <laughs> I saw a cartoon, and there's a guy crawling out of the desert to the lake, and there's a guy on a raft, and yeah, they're both in rags, and the guy's running at the land, and the other guy's running at the water. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, exactly. What you haven't got, what you yeah, but yeah, it is tricky with the parents because. Especially even now, I get a lot of parents talk to me about um, coaching and stuff, which I really enjoy doing. But it's even funny when like the the parents are so like they want to know all this knowledge and they want to like in this and that and everything. And it's just like, does your kid want to do this? Like, mm. does he just does he's, he's, he's riding the bike? Yeah, he's not. Training. He like he's not really asking me questions. Like I don't like I love it when a junior or an athlete or something will come up to me and ask me like good questions or they'll yeah. start to ask yep. things that are yep. just like, how do I go fast? How do I, yeah. What do I need to do? Yeah. And, not, and listen, and listen to it. And mm. I remember there's had a few kids come up to me and ask me certain things and I'm like, yep. Like I'm, I will tell you whatever you want to know, but I like, I, cause I, I've, I've learned a thing now. It's like lead by example because you can't push. Oh, those guys can't. today climb the hill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I'm doing it. Do you want to do it? And it's up to you, but I'm not going to force anyone to do it. If they said no, I'd probably stir them up a bit about it. <laughs> yeah, why not? But I, it's it's just a thing. Just do it. And if, the, if you want to go fast, climb mountains. Yeah, I, I like. I normally say like I'll, if they said no, I probably would have just been like, because I, I hate when kids say they want to go faster, and then you actually tell them what they need to do to go faster, and they go, and no. they go "Oh, nah, that's that's it too sucks. hard." <laughs> but I, I just look at that hill today, and I'm like, if I climb this right now. I'm probably going to get a bit quicker. That could be point whatever, even just mentally stronger, whatever it is. Like you've, got, you've. I think if every day you need to have an internal conversation with yourself when you do something, it's like, is this going to be better or worse for me? And mm. you normally, you know, like I, I, when I was coaching a kid the other day, I was telling him, write down, like make a list and write down everything that you think a professional athlete would do to become like to be a professional athlete what does their day look like what does their diet look like what does their training look like write all down what you think that's what it is and then look at that and go well do that you just told you you've just written all the answers that you know exactly what to like why do you need me you've just put they eat healthy they're determined they train hard they probably have a like you've you know the answers in your head you've just written them down yeah i'm not the yeah, I shouldn't be your police. I'd, I'm not. I'd yeah, but the thing you. is, you've got to. You've. I'm. The, the thing that you want is someone to keep you accountable for those things, because you know exactly what you need to do. And I did it for years. I knew exactly what I needed to do, and I, I honestly just was blowing it because of I. I don't know. Want to be a kid. Want to party. Want to want to have a social life. But I knew what I had to do. I knew I wasn't living up to my expectation of what I could achieve. And yeah, I remember you talking about how many k's Troy was doing on a road bike, and you weren't coming close. Oh, I was. I, I wasn't doing enough. But I didn't want it that badly. And I yeah. remember after 2017 when it was, I didn't have a phone call from a team for – I didn't know if I had a contract, didn't know if I had 
a future in racing bikes and it all kind of come crashing down on me. Is this going to be, is it, is this it done? I'm there and about and it, it was, it was, it was about two weeks radio silence from everyone. And then, um, Bernat Guardia called me. He said, yep, we're going to do it. We want to like, we want to put you on again. We'll make it happen. We'll continue on. And from that phone call, I just remember going, we're going in like, it, it got come out, come out swinging. It, it got to it got to breaking point. It was just like, okay, this showed me do I want to do this or not. And that moment, I was like, I do want to do this. And then I started just doing everything I could. And then went out to that first World Cup in Croatia, where I was next to nowhere to almost winning the bloody thing. And I was just like, that's when I was like, I just did what I knew I needed to do. Yeah. I, I I looked the at the paper. I looked at the paper and I go, I know what I needed to do because I knew I knew exactly what I needed to do. I just wasn't doing it. I wasn't keeping myself accountable. I wasn't getting up early. I wasn't training hard enough. I was coasting, coasting, and I was I was wasn't bad. Like I had I still was getting half decent results, but not where I knew my full potential was. And then mm. when I came out that race, and I almost and I was like, <laughs> I was happy that I did really well. But at that point, I like I knew I could have won that race, and to even be in that mindset ever in, like to, to know you could be the best in the world at something on any given day is just that's a win in itself and that's where i put my mind at the top of that croatian run and i was just like look what that look look how much of it to go from not even possibly having a ride to being the last man down the hill at a world cup and almost taken it was just like that's and that was within six months yeah yeah so it's like that that's turn, what the turn it around to being no one to somebody pretty quick is it all starts in your head but you've got to have that moment where you go okay do i want this if i do want it and you do commit and you do make make that known in your own mind that you can do it and you do want to do it then start making a plan start putting start like i say dotting your dotting your eyes and crossing your t's and start just making it happen and write so to think like set set goals set what you know you should do to achieve those goals and then just start ticking it off. Mm. It's just like if you – like now I know every day if I just get up and we talked about before with the rowing thing, if I get up and go and start rowing, I know I'm going to get – like today riding, like I just get in some flow sometimes and I'm going to go, okay, this is this is where I w- need to be because like I know my, my – like you know your pace and how you feel and everything. And I always talk – like I, <laughs> I was talking to Jack before and I'm like it's pretty crazy to think when we're riding today and we're kind of start pushing in some spots, like that's literally the best that that can be done. Like in the, in like in, and that's a, that's a trip in itself thinking like me riding right now on like, obviously it's a local track. So I'm probably a little bit better at it, but to our skill level is mm. literally like Jack got second mm. in the world enduro series last year. I got 10th of the year before. And it's like to think it's like, this is the, and that builds confidence in yourself because yeah, you start there's, riding. There's like, a handful of people in the world that can match this. Yeah, like I'll have moments where I'll be riding and I'll do stuff and I'll just be like, no, like you, like it's a, it's it's a weird feeling, but I'm like that's cool that like that's that's my best right there, and just and just appreciating when I have days like that because it doesn't. It's not every day you you even like today. It's not every day I can ride a bike as well as I did today, and it's like obviously you keep making. Stay, again, you, don't, you hang on too tight. Your concentration is oh, not there. There's a lot of things. Can, this, I think I sent you a message the other day um, when I went for a ride, and I was just again riding like I was today, and I was just like, if I can ride like this and replicate this in a race run and have this positive mindset and this drive and everything else, I just like let's see what we can do. But it's just it's a cool thing to. I'm just appreciating even riding my bike like that. Like I used to just train, and then I need to get faster to go to a World Cup and race and do well now i'm just like fuck i'm already winning because this is good this is fun like to, to ride at that level 
and that consistent feel that good like when you every, when you just everything's working then you remember like hey I actually I actually really enjoyed riding my bike that's why I started doing this in the first place I don't really care about racing can you remember yeah can, can you when we were building mine trucks and you went down to watch Casey Stoner and it ended up being the last year he did it like yeah. I, I kicked myself that I never went and I said go and stand yeah. on turn yeah, stone corner what, like what does that, he feel like when he goes through that bend? And there's nobody else on the planet. Like he's mm, just that's uh, his thing, yeah. And just, that and that's owned. worth like wheels, what, what that was in line. What's that? What's that worth to him? That feeling sliding a bike at two hundred something k's an hour, both wheels in line. Mm. Just, and don't yeah, <laughs> just that feeling alone is something to 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 chase. And like he obviously could just do it consecutively, but he probably looks back at that and goes. Like to have that back. I wonder if he, yeah, if we go out again and give it another crack. But even the thing is, even if he does, it's it's never going to be that moment. It's not ever going to be. I'm about to win this race and I'm going to do it sliding sideways. So it's like appreciate those moments when they'd all be like, yeah, because what he won there just year after year, didn't he? he I think he had a pretty good run of it. Yeah, oh, and he'd come in and they'd be, you know, he'd have three or four meters on him, and he'd go through that corner and he'd have ten, mm. and every lap he'd do it. You know, they started to gap him. Yeah, catch up a bit and he'd come through there and it'd just be see ya. I remember when we were watching it, was him and Rossi were together and they were kind of like, I don't think they were like really having a go, but they were kind of like on each other pretty good. And I was just like, that'd be pretty cool to be like, that's, again, it's just like you're literally the best in the world at this and you're just mucking around with the other best in the world, just riding your bike. Like that's the thing. Some of those moments might be perceived in his mind as some of the best moments just in time practice at Phillip Island with Valentino Rossi hot in your heels and doing stuff like that. Like I, I find it funny. It's like, I guess you'd perceive in my career, um, like obviously the podium's really cool, but I've had races where I've just felt really good and just had a good time and everything's been amazing. It's just like even moments where you might perceive it as being a shit time. And I just remember those things and I was like, oh, that was cool. Everything like flowed. Everything Like, not even just, you just had really good experience. Like, you've just been to some races where, like, even, like, um, Lenza Hyde in 2018. 2018? Was it 2018? Or 20, yeah, 2018. And I remember being there and um, I didn't... Like, liking that track. Oh, I was not even liking the track or anything. And, like, I got, I got 11th, which I was pretty happy with. Could have done a little bit better, but... Just being there, I just remember mm. being there at the top, and mm. I was I was so happy to go race world champs. I wasn't nervous, I wasn't worried, and I just really appreciated that moment being in that. And I just remember looking around and seeing so many people that were stressed out and worried. I'm like, I look back at that moment now, and I'm so happy I went through it with that happy, positive. Let's go and have some fun. Let's go do what we're good at. Because I've gone to plenty of races where I've been can't, that can't, that can't. nervous wreck, and I look back at them, I was like. I don't want to look choked back because of it. No, I'm not even choked, but I well, probably didn't ride as good as I probably could have. But just the fact I look back at that, I was like, why would I be so stressed out when I'm about to go do the very thing I'm the best at in the world, in front of the world, in a cool place, <laughs> in a cool top point in my life? Like just all these good things. And I look at that now, I'm just like, like yeah. It's, it's like standing on that beam that I talked about and you're looking forward. You're looking forward. forward, yeah. You're not looking back. You're not looking at anything else. You just it's looking forward, and it's shutting your mind off to, I guess, everything else. And I always find I can shut my mind off to everything else if I appreciate just the moment, the moment that I'm, the moment that I'm in. Mm. But you can find that moment doing anything. Like that's the thing. You don't need to be at the top of a world champs run about to go down. You can do that. Just do something you enjoy. Do it well. Oh, but I'd have a like. Even I just go up to Buffalo a fair bit, and I'd just be up there, and I I think about I guess. 
this point in time and I guess a lot of things have been going the right direction with everyone lately and it's just like you look at those moments and even right now just I'm very excited to see what like what what what's coming in life just seems exciting at the moment like there's some kind of trend happening now and there was a lot of bad shit that kind of went on for a while and I feel like we've everyone's kind of coming out of that and then you get that good thing happens and that creates another good thing and it just keeps like a dominoes effect and I'm I'm just kind of in the middle of it all now but appreciating it as it's happening like I'm like this is really good but what like I don't know it's like yeah <laughs> like this is really amazing and I'm just like as it as it's coming I'm like this is cool like let's because you know how everyone gets so caught up in the tunnel vision of like oh but I've got to do this and I've got to do that like I'm just day by day just like fuck this is a this is not a bad way to be right now and like I said like my last week, I probably live more in my last week than people will in a year, five years. Like the, what I what I did, and like mm. I can't talk about some of it. I can talk about some of it, but it's just I look at it, and it's just like that's how I want it to be. To be something that I just keep creating that and keep doing that. But yeah, it's been. It's just I just excited at this point in time. Even like with you were saying with with what you're about to get into, and even how you get along with Jake now and everything. It's just a. It's a like there's mm. a lot of things I think we've mm. improved on which I guess people you, like we might not have never, like it's like some people don't ever do that or families or whatever you're going to call it. But it's just like, no. I feel like we've done a, a lot of gone in the positive direction with a lot of things. And there's a lot of other things. And I'm just starting to look at stuff like, Oh yeah. shit, you keep, keep doing good stuff and good stuff keeps happening. And then it's just, just okay. Build on that. Let's make something else good happen. And oh, okay. That's really cool. Let's make, and it just keeps happening. It's like, you almost got to pinch yourself because you're like, if it's real, is it real? And then but you're just like, well, let's just keep doing what we're doing. And probably that's what, that's what, because winning and confidence is habit forming when you, yeah. yeah. And it's like the whole thing about Mind, karma. The mindset. Yeah. And, you know, people talk about karma and they're like, is karma real? I'm like, if you do good shit, good shit will probably happen because it's, it's very obvious to see. And yeah, yeah. attitude. The, the, yeah. 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 100%. Yeah. You go in grumpy and you, I've seen it a lot with people that I've been in business. If they go out there and expect everybody to try and rip them off or to do the wrong thing, people go, well, that's what he's expecting me to do. Mm. You know, the expectation is they're going, you're going to rob them or cheat them or do the wrong thing. And how do you disappoint somebody when they're already... Yeah, they've already built that up in their mind. That's what it's going to be like. Yep. <laughs> yep. If, you expect the, if you expect people to... To do the right thing and be winners, mm. that's, that's nine that's, times out of ten. They'll, they'll, they'll go, oh, that's what he expects. That's what I'll try and do. That's what I've got to, yeah. yeah. Oh, it is a funny one. It's a funny one when I almost feel like it's the um, Truman Show effect when you start doing good things and then really good things start happening again. It's just almost just like you're looking around, just like, <laughs> why does this keep happening kind of in, in a way? But it's just like when you actually look back and you're like, all I've been doing is trying to be like be the best version of yourself and put out that to everyone else and eventually it's going to come back if you're just putting out shit stuff all the time that's why shit stuff keeps happening but it's like you're putting out good stuff but i've had moments where i was just literally like i'll stop and i'll just be like this is my life this is what i get to do this is what's happening but then i look at like what i keep trying to just push out and push out and push out and like obviously that's going to come back and it's just cool when you do see it come back and it's almost just like this is the interest. This is the, the money in the bank about doing the right shit, doing the good, like good stuff and mm. being that person you know mm. you should be. Mm. That's one thing I've just been doing. Like, I'm just, I'm just going to be the person I know I should be. 
and just be it to the best of my ability. And then when you do that, and then people come into your life and opportunities open up because of that. You go, well, this yeah. is this yeah, is you, right. You make them happy about what they're doing and, and yeah. interested in doing something positive. Mm. It all makes starts to make sense, and you're like, okay, I get it now. This checks. This checks out. Mm. Yeah, that's been cool. All right, I might I might end it there because I need to go eat some food. But was it as was it as <laughs> it gets pretty easy, doesn't it? I, it's funny now because I used to be pretty. Like I guess anyone is a bit nervous about the whole thing. I, it just doesn't phase me anymore. My brain, I've got to think about it a lot more. It's one of the tricky things because I'm like, I try and keep the conversation flowing, but then also I've got to have the next thing in my mind of like what we're going to yeah, say. Yeah, this sort of can't come. And we're very wasn't sporadic. Quite a, wasn't quite as it wasn't structured. <laughs> no, nah, sort of, but I don't. I also I don't like that. Sometimes it's good to structure and have points, and other times I think it kills it. Yeah, because people, I think. One of this is pretty much a normal conversation we have anyway. And most people listen to podcasts, they just want to be the fly on the wall. It's cool when it's not like question answer, more or less. It's yeah. like we're just having You can a, do that as a dot point thing for two, three minutes, but that's, that's yeah. all that lasts. Yeah. yeah. And most of the time, obviously, you want to draw back on some kind of <laughs> some kind of sense, but uh, I reckon it'd be cool. I want, actually, I want to do one with Jake as well and kind of talk about his filmmaking and everything that he's done because I think like. It was pretty cool when you were talking about when you were filming, I think we were filming at Shepherd and, and Jake was filming out of the helicopter, me riding, and you're like, that's a pretty cool... F- there's a few different talents here in different fields that are all kind of come together as one to make a pretty cool thing. Mm. There's not many other people out there that would have a brother that was a very successful filmmaker, let alone a dad that can fly a helicopter around and then film him out of it. So mm. I think I think that, I don't know, shows shows their mentality in a way of... And that's the thing comes back to you want to do something, you... You can do it. And I guess that's how I've always looked at you, which is something that I'm trying to instill in other people. It's like if you want something, you can do it, no matter what it is. And I think I guess I saw that because that's what how I was I grew up. It's like you want to build a helicopter? Okay, build a helicopter. You wanna you wanna make money building sawmills? Okay, build sawmills. You wanna invest in this? Okay, do it. And that was more or less I guess my mindset was like, Oh, you can just do all that stuff. If you put the work in to do it, you can. That's and that's okay. what I've tried. I can't do. Yeah, just do it. Roll the dice. Because it's, it's, it's funny when you get so far removed from how other people think, it's hard to kind of relate back to their mindset. Because I'm, I, like, I, I'm fully convinced that anyone can do whatever they want if they want it bad enough and if they will put the work in to get it. And I'm, like, even in myself, like, I, I, one of the most challenging things I think I could do is like, learn another language but I know I could do it. I just haven't had the want to do it yet. And that's the thing that I'm like, but I know I can. Like, that's the thing. It's just like, I know it's just going to be a shitload of work and it's going to be like, I know like it's going to be a big load to do it. And it just, my want to do it hasn't, it hasn't, it hasn't come in front of my mind yet to do it. There's had other things in the way, but like. It's one thing I do kind of partially regret. Like you went to Brazil and I was sort of hoping to send you or Jake over and spend six months with Heidi and Andy. Mm. And if you speak Portuguese, you can understand Spanish and they can understand, uh, well, they actually can't understand spoken um, Portuguese, but you can understand Spanish. People, Mm. I don't really understand how that works. It's a bit like we can talk to somebody out of Texas, but they don't understand us. Yeah. Unless you deliberately slow it down. And I think it's a little bit the same because... Yeah, I've been with Portuguese people. Everybody speaking Spanish, they can understand clear as day. But as soon as they start speaking Portuguese, the Spanish speaking struggle with it, mm. and it's the, almost like the accent of how they say their words. It's oh, 
I know even when I talk to like French people um, and like on my team, you know the word, you still can't pronounce. I'll, it. Sa- I'll say the word, and they'll just look at me like, "What are you saying?" And they'll repeat it back, and in my ears, it sounds exactly what I've been saying. I'm like that's what I've been saying, and they're like, "No, like it's just the accent so strong that they can't get it." Well, when I was in um, like everywhere else, I say, "What's your name, Rex?" And I'd, in Portugal, I say, "What's your name?" I say, "Rex." I go, "Oh, Hex." <laughs> no, Rex. And they, oh yeah, that's what I said. Hex. <laughs> Try again. <laughs> keep going. Keep going. Up the crawl, the crawl. Yeah, after, after the third time, it's like oh, okay. I'll, it, I'm Hex. I'll go. I'll go Hex. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> but, what's your name? Hex. Oh, Rex. <laughs> but you, again, you know, like this, it just comes back to the like. I know if I want to start something or do something, it, like I guess I know the like. If you want to be successful at something, you've got to put a lot of work in. It's just like picking what that thing is that you want to put that amount of work into. But it's just like if I want to. Like if I wanted to change and go change my whole lifestyle or structure or whatever it was, and I found something, I'm like, okay, that's my new thing. Like I know I could get good of it, good at it, because I'd put in the time and effort to do that. But that's something that like that want and that mindset is something that's hard to create. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, and you you touched on that with the mechanical thing. That's something that I think you're born with or not. You know, it's just. Um, I think there's some mental skills that you. Probably sharpen up to a point. Yeah, one of the, one of the things that I was good at, and and Jerry Yokinen was another guy that could do it. Is I, I can look at something in three dimensions in my head. Yeah, I can imagine something and turn it over and look at it from different angles. Yeah, I can't do that. And my my um, graphics teacher couldn't either. You know, we'd be looking at these third axle angle axonometric you know, drawings that are in you know something three D from different directions. And she'd say, oh, what's it going to look from that? And I'd just draw it. And she'd have to go and struggle. Now, to me, it was like, this is what it's going to look like from that angle. And, and you could, I could see she's confused. I'm thinking, what's wrong with you? Yeah. but it's, you know, You're meant to be teaching this. You're meant to know it. But she just couldn't. And then and everybody else in the classroom was much the same. And then Jerry was one of the few guys that I come across that he could just three-dimensional something in his head and just turn it around, work out what it had to be because he had to do it from – you know, positive to negative to make a mould or something and I'd describe something to him or draw him a sketch and he'd just go, oh, yeah, it has to be like such and such and he'd have the thing drawn uh, like a negative of it, you know, the, the bit that goes around it to form the, the component and that's something. That I, I think Matt's got it. Don't really know to what extent. I haven't worked with him enough but, you know, with Jerry wanted to build something, he'd just be you on see it. it. Yeah. It's crazy how your mind can work in that way where, like, I'm – I can't see any of that, but I can see pretty much every track I've ever raced. I can see top to bottom, and I know every line and every like. I, and, I, and I, the I, options and where it's going to put you into the yeah, next. Like I can yeah. visually see if you. you know, I've always I've wanted to do a thing where someone plays like a helmet cam of me, at like Fort William, or like, or just do like five or six races, top to bottom World Cup runs, and I'll just talk you through what's coming up, where I'd go, what the routes are, without like without watching it, just talking it out of my head. Interesting, is just take a snapshot out of it and say how far down the tracks this. Where is it? <laughs> Oh, no, like, uh, well, again, I don't know if I'd get that good at that exact time of where it is, but I mean, like, I could visually just be like, okay, like... Every turn. Um, yeah, I know, I can see I can see it, though. I can see the turn, I can see the rock, I can see the line, I can do that. But if you ask me to, like, memorise song lyrics, for example, couldn't do it. Couldn't see it, couldn't do it, forget it. Don't care. Don't care, it's like, my mind's so attached to that, but it's just crazy, like, the whole idea of, like, I can physically go there in my mind and see those those things, pull them out of wherever wherever they're located back there. 
it, it's something that's faded a little bit with me, but I, um, you know, with uh, motorbikes and things when I first left school, I could tell you how many gear, suspension, travel, what it weighed, everything, all yeah. the stats, you know, because just and and Clint's the same with with push bikes, you know, he just how many gears, how many teeth, sprockets, crank lengths, just, you know, mm. and that's what I had. It had suspension, travel, weight, horsepower. Yeah, your mind goes there. I know when I was younger as well, I used to remember all that stuff, and then it just gets to the point. You're just like, oh, we'll put it, we're going to put other stuff in there now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's gone away. But you know, it, and it, I guess everybody's memories a bit. Like Warren, you know, as a manager, had probably 150 phone numbers, mm. you know, six, ten-digit phone numbers, and just write them out. Yeah, he'd just be in his head. He would. He didn't have a teledex. He didn't. I always it. wonder though. It's like. Is it good to remember that or is it good just to have that written down or in something else so you can put it up? Like, is that taking up space? Because obviously... Oh, he just did it as uh, just how it went. That's what I mean. But if but, he but, didn't... And that was part of what... Have, yeah, if he part. didn't have that, maybe he, maybe he's, he's he's taking that out, but he's forgetting to get, like, big blueberries at the supermarket every week because he's got these he's got a million numbers in his head. Like, you don't... I, like, I don't think you had I, I any proof that. I, I wondered if your head's like a bloody... Yeah, you talk about... I, I sort of wondered that too. I think maybe it is a little bit because I... The, you know, it doesn't try and remember places that I've been and things that I've done, and I. Yeah, it's some stuff just goes by the does wayside. The hard, does yeah. the hard drive? Yeah, yeah. Does it? Yeah. How? If you got twenty terabytes in there, and then after that, you kind of just deleting some old stuff and filling it back up. But that's the thing: make this stuff worthwhile. Because, like you said, if you the worthwhile stuff, the stuff that stays in there. Because mm. it literally is. It's like I was deleting photos off my computer the other day, and there was just some that I was like, "Oh well, I'm just going to get rid of that. Like, I don't want to look back at that." For whatever reason, not a negative or positive or anything, but just it just was just a not nothing important. thing. Yeah, not important. And I guess that's in your brain. As soon as it's not important, you just delete it. Mm. Wouldn't you rather have a lot of good memories out there that you can kind of go back and look over? Mm. And that's what I'd rather have. Absolutely. All right, I reckon we can wrap it up now. We're going to get some food. We've done done two and a half hours. Bloody hell! Yeah. Did you think it was going to go for that long? We thought no, five minutes when we did the the, the yeah, pre talk. I didn't. All right. We'll bore somebody to death. Oh, someone. <laughs> All right. See you later, Dad. Bye, Rex Lucas. <laughs> <laughs>